1-1 pitch. A long drive to right. Ramirez turns to the track. She's gone. Hey now, welcome to season 10, episode 11 of the Sportscasters, I think it's episode 11, it is July 8th, 2020, I know that for sure, and I want to wish everyone a happy 4th of July uh, to the citizens that were lucky enough to be born in the greatest country in the world, I hope you spent the day Uh, celebrating your independence and the great privilege that it was to be born in the United States of America. With that said, uh, I have a great show for you today. I'm really excited about this and I'm also nervous about this and I'll get into both reasons why. Now, first I'll say this. The second interview today is one that I've been sitting on for a while. I recorded it uh, almost immediately when the pandemic started Uh, maybe in April sometime, Uh, and it's with a guy named Sean Ryan, who's been on this show before. His book was featured uh, as part of the Book Club Book of the Month, The Last Days of Letterman, if you remember that, and uh, an author that he uh, is working with who wrote a book about LeBron James in the past. He's from Akron. His name is David Lee Morgan, Uh, and these two guys uh, have written a book about Maslin High School and the football team there. And it's called 15 for 15, and it's about their uh, run to the state championship, which uh, they made it to the state championship game and lost. And we talk all about it. It's a long interview, and I've been sitting on it because the book right now is in pre-order stage. And you know I like to – it's important to me to try to help as best I can. And I wanted to pair uh, this interview with something that I thought would do good traffic. I wanted to pair it with something. Uh, that made sense, and with it being long, I knew it would, and I knew it would be second. You know, I needed that strong uh, first interview, and it, it doesn't get much stronger than Jeff Passan for me on this show. Uh, Jeff is the first person to ever appear. I actually had an agreement with him to appear on the podcast before I even created the podcast. Before I knew, you know, what the podcast was, Jeff had already agreed to an interview, and I had a hustle. Uh, to create a podcast uh, for him to be on. Uh, And he's been with me ever since. He was last on in November. And he's one of those guys that I text with, uh, maybe much to his chagrin, and we get into that. Uh, But I text with him. Um, I consider him a friend in this. And uh, he's someone who has 500,000 followers on Twitter all of a sudden uh, and is just killing it professionally. And we are going to talk about baseball and the start of the baseball season, and we talk a little bit about the players opting out. And I kind of mentioned that I have no problem with them opting out of the season. 
Uh, but I get a little annoyed with the the missives that they write to announce it, where they talk about how it's a family decision and almost make it feel like they think they care more about the their families than the players. We, we get into this, okay? And you can hear my explanation for it. But it leads us down a path that I wasn't comfortable with, where we start talking about Twitter in general and cancel culture and what happened with Drew Brees. And the problem is, is that I am not being honest in this conversation or I'm being honest, but I'm holding back. I'm not being uh, authentic with my opinions. Also, I wasn't prepared for it. Like Jeff asked me to give an example of when I think someone was canceled uh, for something that in the past they wouldn't have been. And I wasn't prepared with an example off the top of my head. Uh, But there's been hundreds of them, uh, marginal mistakes, if you can even call them mistakes that have cost people their lives in this era of cancel culture. And I wasn't ready with one and because I wasn't ready to do that. And I, I really didn't want to have some of those discussions. And we joke about whether or not I'm going to cut it. And I promise you, I cut nothing. Uh, the I left it as it is, but it doesn't make me comfortable. You know, my fear, I guess, is that someday I'll say something and someone who's never given a shit about this show in the past will pick up on it somehow and will ruin my ability to do this and I like to do this and I want the decision to not do it to be mine and not be because no one will come on the show anymore because I said something that someone didn't agree with and they ruined me on the internet also I wish I defended Drew better I wish I was honest about how I really felt I wish it went all the way you know Uh, and I didn't and I'm sorry to you for that and I know that this will never be what it can't could be, maybe, until I am willing to go all the way uh, with my honesty. And I've talked about that recently. Uh, but I think it's a great interview with uh, Jeff. We have some laughs. I bomb at one point with a Trent Richardson thing I was trying to bring up that just didn't work because he didn't remember. And then we're talking about it too long. And But we, we goof about that and we tell funny jokes and he laughed at me a few times and laughed with me even a few uh and i love having jeff on so i'm excited for you to hear it but i'm nervous for you to hear it and i wish i did more to explain my point you know i could have done better if i was more prepared and more willing to be honest like i think if jeff and i had that conversation uh in person uh, over a coffee table or at a picnic not like on a blanket i mean like you know at the at the cookout, maybe, you know, you sit around the table with your buddies. You know what I mean? I would have been more honest. But uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do Jeff passing next. Uh, then we'll update the book club. A few things to talk about there. Uh, then we'll do the interview with with Sean and with um, David Lee Morgan. And uh, I think you're really going to like that. It's really interesting. And the book is awesome. And I'm really excited for these guys uh, that, you know, the book is here. And I've been calling him Sean. It's Scott Ryan. And I'm so sorry about that. Uh, I have a friend from college whose name is Sean Ryan. So sometimes I get Sean Ryan and Scott Ryan confused. uh, But it's Scott Ryan uh, who wrote the book about David Letterman, The Last Days of Letterman. Uh, Scott Luck Stories is another great book by Scott. And uh, David Lee Morgan, of course, is the 
uh, other author. So we have that to look forward to. And then we'll do one last thing. And I've been flip-flopping on what I'm going to talk about during one last thing. Uh, But I guess time is running out to decide. All right. Was there anything else I wanted to say in this preamble? Um, It'll be interesting to see if these sports happen, right? Like hockey is getting closer. Uh, Baseball is trying. Jeff and I talk about that. Basketball is getting closer. I wonder if any of it's going to happen. Um, I'm interested. We'll monitor that. Um, Hopefully there'll be some more podcasts as the weeks ahead. I know I've been a little slow the last month or so, but um, I'm looking to pick that up. All right. Now I'm babbling for the sake of babbling. Uh, I think I said what I wanted to say in the beginning here. Oh, uh, at the very beginning, Jeff is low and I boosted it. The varying results, and then we stop for a second, and it's within like the first four minutes of the interview, and he's perfect the rest of the way. But the first couple minutes of the interview, his audio is wonky, but I'm talking mostly anyway. That's why we didn't restart and do it because he only had a few lines so far. But uh, hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back on the other side of this one uh, with the book club. All right, our first guest on the podcast tonight uh, was the first guest in the history of the podcast. He's a Major League Baseball insider for ESPN. He's a reporter there. He was with Yahoo uh, when we first met him. He's written books like Death of the BCS and The Arm, which is fantastic. And he's nice enough to join us again today as baseball season is approaching. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the OG, Jeff Passan. What's up, Jeff? Hello, Steve. How are you? I uh, I recently asked you to make a wager, and um, I was considering that. And then I was also considering that if someone asked me to make a wager on who in the world regrets most giving me their phone number, I might put it on you. It m- <laughs> Yeah! Yeah! Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's... I- I don't know. How about like who else? Who else is in contention? Joe Buck. <laughs> Joe Buck is Just, de- definitely in contention. I mean, Joe Buck. Joe Buck is like way more famous than me and way better at his job than I am. So I feel like like I feel like Joe Buck's probably a better bet there. Yeah, and I actually asked him for a favor too, which is oh. something I've never done. Literally the first time I've ever asked anyone for anything other than being on the show, which is in itself a favor. Uh, and I don't, I don't take that for granted. So I've never asked anyone really for anything other than that. Has, um, has this has this favor been shared with the general public, or are you just uh, gonna leave it out there? I'm not sure. If, I, I might have told the story, but we can talk about it here. It, it's a yeah. all right. So uh, 2019, I had three surgeries in 289 days, and in an attempt to do something nice for me, my family um, sent me to New Orleans for a Saints game. You know, paid for my yep. flight and. Got me a room and a ticket, all that. The last time I had went, uh, a friend's dad, a friend of mine's dad built the hockey arena in Elmira, New York. And at the time that that happened, the guy who was in charge of that is now in charge of the Superdome. It was the same. SMG was the company. 
and yep. he went from that little property to the Superdome. So last time I went, that guy had hooked me up with uh, some accommodations at the Superdome. Pretty and cool. I was um, trying to reach him and couldn't. And um, so I was thinking about it, and I said, you know, I bet it's a Fox game. You know, I've been, I had become pretty friendly with Joe Buck. We had been texting during the uh, St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup run because he knows I'm a hockey guy, and he's actually like a big Blues fan. It's like the one sport he can cheer for, I guess. So I said, you know, I bet I could probably just text Joe Buck, and he would give me a field pass and not even think twice about it. And I wrote – you know you type a text message, and then you look at it, and then you delete it, and then maybe you change a word. You make sure you didn't do it. I did this for like an hour, you know. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like you know should i even do this at all do i sound like an asshole you know I, I debated every word you know that that's too strong of an adjective there you know that's too much of whatever i i finally get the guts after like an hour of typing it which came after like three days of even considering if i would get to the point of typing it and I, I sent it out. And you sent it and you had misspelled the word, right? No, but by the time I even had a chance to like put my phone down, the bubbles popped up. <laughs> and he's like, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like I was you wasted you wasted an hour of your life because you're too deep into your own head. Right. Within seventeen seconds he wrote me back like a one word, like almost like an like of course, yeah, all right. You know? I, don't, I don't know Joe at all, but from from all I've heard, he's a very good guy. Yeah, and then I, I said, you know, thank you so much. And then, uh, you know, the game was a couple weeks later, and, I, you know, I didn't really go back to him, but I, I had to then text him and say, like, all right, well, like, how do I get this, you know? And um, even that, I didn't I – don't, I didn't, it made me uncomfortable in general to do it. And, like, almost even to this day, I regret it a little bit, which, again, is probably just me being in my head, but – yeah, I don't believe that's true. You don't, don't regret it. No, I, I, I feel maybe regrets wrong. Feel guilty maybe is a better way to put it. Yeah, I don't think you feel guilty either. You got on the No, field, I right? do. Yeah, no, I do. I did, and I met Drew Brees. There you go. Um, which was the oh. motivation. Because, I mean, I a big reason I went wanted to go to the game, well, besides being a lifelong Saints fan, and it had been a couple of years since I've been there, is I want, in my, in my mind, is like I want to see, you know, Brees play in the Superdome at least one more time. And then, you know, of course two weeks before I went, he broke his thumb. So Naturally. Right. So that was – I mean, he he's missed three games, three home games um, as a Saint. That was one of them. So that's when I really started thinking about it because I was like, well, that's out. So maybe I can walk around on the field and, you know, do that kind of thing. But anyway, he was great about it and um, super nice. And, you know, yeah, I, 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 I sent I him a handwritten note. He – that's the other thing. Like, so then I wrote him, and I'm like, "Is it too forward to ask for your mailing address or like a PO box or anything?" Because I wanted to send him something, and then he sent me his address, and I wrote him a handwritten. I mean, I did everything I can to thank him, but and then and then you showed up outside his house yes, holding a boombox with the boombox. Yes, I was there. Yes, <laughs> in was, your eyes was playing. Yes, it was, it was a very t- <laughs> it was a very touching moment. Uh, John Hughes would appreciate it, but. uh yeah, so he would be the other person in the running, I guess, long story short. Uh, with that said, let's talk to you a bit. Enough about my hooey. So I was just watching Garrett Cole, and there's a funny sequence. I don't know if you saw this. So, it, it, yeah, did you see that? Yeah, used to it. Yeah. <laughs> let me, okay, let me just I'll, I'll break it down real quick in case, you know, we're, so we're not the only two who know what it was. So 
Garrett Cole strikes out a batter. It's the first inning of his work. Uh, the catcher throws the ball around the horn. The umpire then says that ball is out of play because uh, too many people have touched it, I guess. I don't know. I don't even think it was an umpire, was it? Well, it was someone standing behind the plate with gloves on and a mask calling balls and strikes. I don't know. Okay. I, you know. Sure, I wasn't sure if it was the umpire who said it or someone on the sideline. But regardless, keep going. I'm sorry. He gets a new ball, and he doesn't like that ball, and he's really annoyed. And I think he said it was a practice ball. Might have mouthed that or whatever the case. He doesn't like the ball, and he's got to throw it anyway. And the first pitch is a home run, and... He looks, he's, you know, then disgusted on the mound. If it's during the regular season, he'll just ask for a new ball. That's the thing. Like, you could always just chuck a ball to the side if it doesn't feel right. I, I think this was uh, this was him sort of testing himself and seeing, hey, if I don't like the ball, can I uh, still do good work with it? And the answer was no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, yeah, the first pitch was, was gone. Well, let's get into this a little bit because I had texted you yesterday, like I said earlier, just asking like where you were in terms of thinking like will this happen so since we're the only ones who were able to read that maybe you can share like where do you stand in terms and maybe even a day well, later you have more information like is this going to happen i think the three scenarios you you put out there were one we don't get to the regular season two we get 20 games in and they cancel it, or three, it goes through the entire season, and they play through the World Series. Right. And I I did not have a good answer. I do not have a great feel for, for it at this point. I, I think if you ask me two weeks from now, and, and I know that's pushing things off, and it's not much help for this podcast, but uh, I'll have a better sense of if we're going to make it to the regular season at least. And, and I know the regular season starts in around two weeks, so... That's a bit of a cop out, but I, I feel like we're going to know at that point how many players contracted coronavirus during their trips to the stadiums where they've gone because symptoms don't immediately show up and right. asymptomatic right. positives don't immediately show up either. This is something that takes a little while to, to get into your body and really take root there. So I think that, uh, you know, I think that's a big, big issue because let's remember people are coming from all around the world. Number one and number two, uh, they're, they're coming from states that have been uh, hot spots. You know, a lot of ball players coming from Texas, Florida, Arizona, and California, sure. and sure. we know the rate of infection there has spiked. And so the idea that. Uh, you know, taking flights into the places where they were going that nobody was going to catch it. It's it's foolish to even think that. Is there any specific reason they didn't consider the bubble thing that, you know, hockey and basketball are doing? Yeah, players didn't want to do it. Okay. They didn't like the they didn't like the idea of being isolated for months upon months and they just said no. Okay. And, and when you have players who were vehemently against something it has no chance of getting off the ground fair is there do you think there's a thing like a uh like a poison pill in all this that just kills it like is it you know the wrong guy or too many of the wrong guys opt out is it just simply too many players get infected is it god forbid someone gets infected and isn't able to survive it or has a really severe case or is there a public pressure? Is there player like who? 
what would have to I don't know if I'm asking what would have to happen for it to fall apart maybe I'm just asking like do they know what that do they have something in mind are they going about this thinking well all right we're going to do this unless this happens uh e all of the above okay. and and I think we need to add to that uh, actually make E local governments start shutting things down and mm. don't allow teams to play in particular locations. And uh, the backup location or the backup to the backup location uh, are not viable either. I think all of those are scenarios that could lead to this being shut down. In terms of the number of positives, I don't know if there's a if there's an actual number. Um, I think it's uh, a lot like pornography, you know it when you see it. Sure. Um, and and here's the thing, like uh, the the appetite for positive tests differs among so many people. I mean, when they came out with the results from the first batch of of intake testing, and you know it was 38 people among like you know 3,100 or so. Uh, it was 1.2 percent. That was seen inside the sport as a reasonably positive thing, even though everybody understood that it didn't give the full picture exactly. Um, I think outside of the sport, there were a lot of people whose feelings are if there are any positive tests, then that's a problem. And I, I, while I understand that perspective, I don't find it to be particularly realistic um, I, you know, I think if 10% of players tested positive, then it begins to get into the problematic zone. It was, it's certainly more than 31. I mean, they're upward of 70 that, uh, uh you know, I, I don't know the exact names or, uh, the exact breakdown, but just sort of the, 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 the gossip, uh, inside of baseball, about how many people have it it's it's a much larger number than 31 sure you know it's interesting because you know a lot of this is risk assessment right on the players um the owners um the states the cities and everyone's going to try to like make a risk assessment and they're going to basically be doing it almost every day every hour so i think until the last pitch of the world series um we're always going to be living in a world with baseball as it's here today. Enjoy it because it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah, this whole thing is fragile. And I think the testing issues that they've run into during this first week illustrate that. It's not been good. You know, right. teams have had to either cancel practices or uh, move them back because the testing hasn't been as quick as as they were and. Anticipating, you know, the the idea was that test results would be turned around within 24 hours. That has not been the case, and Major League Baseball needs to figure out how to make that the case. Or uh, I don't think players are going to be altogether comfortable continuing on with what they're doing, and that that's something that is, is clearly of the utmost importance right now, and something I think that baseball is going to get some time to figure out. But if a week or so from now teams are having to delay or cancel practices because of a testing backlog, then th that's an issue that is, is going to really hang over this whole thing. Yeah. And, and here's another thing that we kind of talked about and uh, we can talk about it here is the, the players that are choosing not to do this. Right. And I'll just lay it out and then you can respond as you want. First of all, 
I support any of the players' decisions because, like, this is America, right? And these guys can play or not play. And, like, they, they, and I've heard some people say, like, well, they have a contract. Yeah, but they also have a union and they've negotiated deals within that uh, collective bargaining to make opt-outs, you know, legal. So I totally respect anyone who decides not to do it. All good. You don't want to play. That's fair. I have been a little bit annoyed by the, by the like, missives that come with this decision, though. These, like, Instagram posts that just are family, family, family as if everyone doesn't have a family and that the people who are choosing to play are somehow, like, care less about their family or something. And I know they're not saying that, but the, rea- the, the honest answer is that so far, every player that I've read about that has opted out has been a very rich player who, <laughs> who can just say, you know what, I don't need the aggravation or the risk i'm out so like yeah the the only the only one who hasn't is joe ross with the nationals every other player has at least six years of major league service time has hit free agency you know whether it's david price 217 million felix hernandez 175 million nick markakis 80 million uh ian desmond 85 million you know these are guys who have made a bunch of money and have the ability to do that and i you know i'm not sure that they're implying that they care more about their family uh than than players who don't opt out but i think in the end family is the reason that most guys are going to i mean if mike trout were to go do it for example his wife is very pregnant with their first child right now and He's concerned, and understandably so. I mean, if you look at Mike Trout, he falls into an age uh, and health cohort that uh, has a very low risk of significant coronavirus complications that would result in, God forbid, hospitalization or death. And children tend to be the same way, but newborns, kids who don't have vaccinations kids whose immune systems are literally just at the beginning right now we don't know what the long-term health implications are there and that's the fear of this whole thing right like if you contract coronavirus and and covid absolutely crushes you for say a week how do we know that it's not going to recur a year from now how do we know it's not going to have long-term damage we don't and and that's the risk that's inherent in all of our lives right now. Right. And in what makes this thing so scary, it's the the lack of information about it. Well, everything we thought we knew when we shut down, like in March, has either proven to not be correct, or you know, like so. I agree that the the unknown isn't over with this, right? Like, there's still, I'm sure, a lot more about the virus that we don't know today that we'll know, you know, a year from now or whatever. And again, like I, if if Mike if Mike Trout wants to be out, that's fine. But this kind of reminds me, and take Mike Trout out of it, because um, I don't want to pick on anyone specifically. But this kind of reminds me, like when my daughter was first born, or even still today, if my buddies are going somewhere, I don't want to go, or I don't feel like it, or whatever, and they call, I just say, and we all do this. Oh, my daughter's sick, right? Because you could never come back with no she's not hold on hold on you lie about your daughter being sick well uh no i've never done it i'm I'm being generic here right like okay like i'm being generic like come on you haven't had a buddy that you're expecting to go to beers with and you call him and he's like oh the kids are sick or 
you know, kids don't feel well or, no, or, or oh, I my, don't, I don't, my kids got don't, a thing or I got to put my... I don't, I, well, two things. Number one, I don't socialize very much. But number two, I would never do that. That's bad karma, man. Okay. Like if you millions if of you people say do that. If you say eh, that's fine, those those people are perfectly willing. I I would never do that because you know your kid's actually gonna get sick when that happens. See what I do is I play the Crohn's card. I don't have to play the daughter's card because as yeah. someone you know I have that right. I have that ultimate. Oh, you know, like my Crohn's is acting up and no one's going to say anything about that because I've had nine surgeries in 10 years for Crohn's. Right. So like, it's just a, oh, all right. Kind of a thing. You can't debate it. And I think that's where, like, that's the family card here. Like nobody's going to come back at one of these baseball players and say, come on, you don't care about your family or what do you mean your family? Like, you know what I mean? It's like the ultimate out when I guess I just feel like, again, based on the, sample that we have of the players opted out for the most part i just kind of feel like they're opting out because they are rich and they just don't need they don't need to worry about it it's it's not worth the hassle or the risk right like and i think we would all be that way if like there is risk for all of us in whatever we do but if we had 10 lifetimes of money in our bank account wouldn't we just say i don't need that risk i'm sorry i'm not just not doing it so I, 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 I get it, and I would do the same thing. Like I said, I just I don't need the, like, the soliloquies on Instagram. Like I don't know. I don't. I I, I don't mind it. I don't think I. I you're, you're, this is a hot take. Is it? I don't like. Yeah. Who okay. cares what they? Who cares what they say? Well, yeah. I mean, cares is a. I mean, the level of care is we're talking you about. You sound it, like you care. Well, I mean, we're, we got to talk about something, right? I mean, this is what's happening. There's it, plenty to talk about. We don't have to talk about Instagram <laughs> posts. It, it, all right, fine. I'll just come clean. It is annoying me a little bit. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, I, I like. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old. I, I can't get worked up about that. It's uh, uh, maybe my expectation for what athletes say and do are different than yours. Because of all the stories I hear about them and sure. their behaviors, and and my my level of expected genuineness from them is, is not as high as yours. Wouldn't it be amazing though if one guy's like, "I have too much money to take this risk. I'm just not doing it. I'm out." I, I would love that guy. Would you love that guy? Or would, yeah, would I would that be guy... like, "Hey, he's honest. He is not bullshitting yeah, but... me." Right, he's honest, but I mean, you probably uh, have to uh, find a way to put it less crude than that. But oh, uh, you think? Yeah, <laughs> like, he probably wouldn't want to be quite as arrogant about it as that. But like, I don't know. I would appreciate some candor, I guess. I mean, you know, I think a lot of the reason that people are opting out though is because of their family. Isn't that as candid as it gets? Like, you don't always have to go into the into the gory details of what allows you to make that decision. That's I, I feel like that's sort of secondary to the impetus behind the decision. Yeah, I guess I just like maybe it's my situation, but right now I'm almost worried the least when in relative to coronavirus about my daughter. Like just based yeah. on everything I know about it. Like she seems like she's the safest human being in this house. No question. Absolutely. So, you know, 
like if I was opting out, I, I mean, I, I would hope I would say, look it, I've struggled with this disease and there's no kind of like study per se about whether it makes it worse or if it's the same. And I just don't want to be the guy who has to find out. So I'm out and I can be yeah, out. There's also, I'm there's rich, also but... no study on the long-term implication with kids though. That's what, and that's a, that's a reasonable if unlikely fear, but, but reasonable nevertheless. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to something else. Um, what now, about- I want to sit here and hear about your Instagram <laughs> gripes. Oh, my God. Forget Instagram because I don't use it much, but I'm about out on Twitter. I might delete it. Like, I'm any day away from deleting it. Yeah, I don't have that luxury. Well, the, I don't think I do either. Like, if I want anyone to care about this, like, I think I, pro- <laughs> I probably can't. Um, so that's kept me from doing it. But. Man, I want to. Like, because... Pull the plug, then! Here's the thing. My mental health and physical health are sometimes related. And I'm not sure that Twitter is necessarily... Mentally healthy, or... I don't know. Well, well, what, what about it? Well, okay, I've fallen into a bad trap with it, right? Um, where I've started to do this thing where I... Open it up. I have a third-party app that lists my tweets in order. That's a must. I hate the yep. regular Twitter app. Um, Agreed. And I, I, I see what's going on, and then I go to the trends, right? And it's this list every day. There's four or three names on there, and I instantly know the world has turned on this person for some reason. Okay. And... Then I read it, and I want to defend that person, usually. Uh, or I want to speak out against something, or I want to take a position, or whatever the case is. See, this all goes back to Drew Brees, doesn't it? It probably started there, yeah. It probably started yeah, there. Yeah, here's, here's, here's the thing. You can't defend what Drew Brees did, Steve. You know that. Uh, I don't know that what he said was a smart thing to say. No, I wouldn't defend what he said. He, he, he clearly misread the room. Uh, what he said was insensitive at the time. Uh, how he delivered it was very clunky. Uh, I think what he said, if packaged differently, certainly wouldn't have caused quite the furor. Like if he would have just said, I completely respect my teammates decision to kneel, but my decision will still be to stand. And here's why I don't think that would have been, as furiously rejected. Yeah, it depends. If he talked about the flag, it probably would have been. Okay. Well, I guess I just kind of still love the flag, I guess. So I would have, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I never, anytime I so type something here's in, the, I delete here's it. The, uh, so, I'm so not, I not willing to, to put this. myself out there. No, go ahead. No, I hate to turn this into Twitter all over again. You're, you're allowed to love the flag and, be an advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, sure. Those two things sure. are not mutually exclusive. Right. But what so why happened would it... is what happened is that disingenuous people tied those two things together and and thus made them in the minds of many inseparable. And that was one of the sins from the beginning. It was the disingenuousness of the idea that Colin Kaepernick or anyone else who was kneeling was doing it as some sort of an indictment on the United States and the American American flag. No, they were doing it about uh, 
this issue that persists in the United States that is problematic and deserves to have a light shined on it. And what Drew Brees did and the problem with what he did was he didn't recognize that that was the true intent of it and didn't respect the whole ideal behind it. He'll learn. He knows better. I don't think Drew Brees is a bad person. And I think he's shown that and illustrated that through the many things that he's done good in society. But in this particular area, he was just ignorant. And that ignorance came out and he got slaughtered for it. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. If I want to say anything. I, I just like, this is how I feel. I just I don't even know if I want to take the risk with someone I feel completely comfortable with like you. Like I Take I, the risk, it's fine. I'm not going to Listen, this yeah, is this it, is somebody, It's fine until is, you're the last person who's ever willing to come on here again, right? Like if I if I even if my intentions are good and I misword something here, like I could be next. Yeah, I, it, Steve, every single day I go on television, typically multiple times a day facing that, right? Mm-hmm. So that that causes you uh, you know people sometimes say why do you talk so slowly that's why yeah <laughs> because yeah. I, hell yeah because yeah. Be, because before i say something i want to think yeah. i want to make sure that the words that are coming out of my mouth accurately reflect how i'm feeling and take into account all of the different scenarios it, it's me editing myself in that moment to ensure that what not just that what i'm saying is is universally loved because it's not going to be but but that it's salient and sound and logical and fair and reasonable and i'm going to screw up sometimes still despite all of those uh, endeavors that i have and and it's just a reality you know you're one moment away from saying something that changes your life but that it hasn't that really always been the case we just didn't have something like the internet or social media to blast it out there and amplify it you know you say one dumb thing to your boss that you immediately regret you're probably still going to get fired you say one dumb thing to a friend that you that you wish you hadn't said you may lose a friendship right or a the, wife the only or a difference, the only sure. difference now is that our our lives are all out there for everyone to see and that's something uh, it's not something to me to be afraid about it's something to embrace because it makes us better and it makes us consider what we're saying more well i think there is a one difference you're overlooking though i think in the past it was things like what Jimmy the Greek said, right? And there, you wouldn't be able to find anyone who – well, maybe you'd find some idiot, but whatever. For the most part, everyone would agree, okay, he's got to go down. Like, okay, he's, you can't do that, right? But now people go down for very, very, very debatable things. Like what? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can come up with an example right this – you know, I'm on the spot. Um, I guess. Right, but that's my point. How, if if I could definitely so find good. thirty, I bet if if we t- if I took a second. All right, I, I like all right. I here, I'll, I'll I'll take one that I think maybe would surprise you. Like Deshaun Jackson deserves that mistake that he made. I don't think anything should happen to Deshaun Jackson. Like I honestly, really? well, here's the thing: I honestly believe what he's telling me. That he didn't understand exactly what he was saying. Sean Jackson's a 33-year-old man who went to Cal and he doesn't know that Hitler's ideals okay. were wrong? Hitler Hitler is the is the wrong. 
Hitler's like okay. Hitler's like the like let's not endorse like okay you got me on the Hitler part of it right but <laughs> I think I think you are I think you are I, bothered with cancel culture I am and, and, and I, I am I think he deserves that mistake I think if he says like look it that was a an f up and we can believe him like let's just move on and like let him learn from it like let's make an ally yeah. as they say instead of an enemy. Like, why here's, do we want to drive all these okay, people but, to the stake? Why? But, uh, so here's here's the thing, Steve. I think that you are certainly allowed to make a mistake, right? But my question is not what you did or what your apology was. It's what are you going to do to remedy that? It's after having this enormous platform and sending out this absolute stupidity to the world act and and i say this as a jewish man but if i weren't jewish i would be saying the same exact thing after sharing this crap with with your legion of followers what are you going to do to make up for it what are you going to do to get right with the world i'm perfectly willing to forgive you if you turn around and go learn about it and and preach what you learn to that same large group of people that you threw this crap out with to begin with but if you're not willing to do that if you're not willing to put in the time the effort the care that it takes to go and make good on this then your apology is hollow and i'm not going to buy it and i don't think i should all right well two two things on that one is that the problem is your what you just said there isn't the majority, right? Uh, a majority of people are always now going to kill Deshaun Jackson for this. He's going to carry this no matter what he does going forward. Same with Drew Brees. Anytime Drew Brees posts anything on his Instagram or his Twitter now, and you read the comments, the stain is there. It's there forever. Yeah. And the other thing is, like you were talking about, let's see what they do going forward. Well, why doesn't any everything that's happened to that point matter? Like, what about everything else the person has revealed about their character? Why doesn't that matter? Like, here's what I was really mad about with the Drew Brees situation, and I'm going to take a risk here, I guess, and I'm going to be completely honest because I'm losing – well, losing isn't the right word, but I'm stumbling through this conversation because I'm restraining myself and not being honest and I'm doing what I've hoped to avoid by just avoiding things like this, but – Here's what I was mad about with the Drew Brees thing, okay? Uh, I think what he said was very tone deaf, was wrong, and I think that, again, like I've already said this, I think that if he would have worded different, he might have been all right. So I don't think the essence of it is necessarily as inflammatory as how he presented it. Okay, forget that. Let's just say there's no forgiving that. Let's say he's just dead on that. Fine. But here's what bothers me. Where were all the people who know Drew Brees? Like every, I think I counted two people, Demario Davis and Joe Horn, came out and said, look, I know this guy. He's wrong here. But trust me when I tell you, from my experience of knowing him for years and seeing what he's done, the, the fact that he has been the most important person in the city of New Orleans since 2006, in terms of raising uh-huh. finances, over $30 million. The fact that a month before this statement, he took $5 million out of his own pocket to feed the hungry in the city. Like, why doesn't that matter? Like, even two if it's things. okay, two, he two, fucked two th- up there. 
Like, what about all that? So two things. Number one, wouldn't you agree that Drew Brees has already gotten 10 lifetimes worth of praise for the things that he has done? That that while he is I don't know it's praise that I'm looking for, though. It's not praise. I'm just looking for that to be considered. When like right. saying, but what, I'm, but, what, but what I'm saying is, he's getting scorn now for for what he said. What's the what's the opposite of scorn? I I assumed praise was the right word. Maybe it's something else. Point is, Drew Brees has already been lionized for for years uh, because of his actions. Um, so so the idea that that you need to get something from your past to rescue you from your screw up in the present. Uh, I, f- I feel like all of the things that he has deserved, he has received to this point. Number two, this ain't a bank. Like you don't have deposits that you can cash in for your debits, right? Like when you can't go and borrow against all of your good deeds when you make a bad one. So I, I think that has a lot to do with this as well, that the great things you do, don't rescue you necessarily from the bad things. What rescues you from the bad things is doing good things that are related to the bad thing that you did. And I have no doubt that Drew Brees is going to be a person who learns from that mistake and who gets better and who in the end is an ally and is someone who is in the right. And and that's the thing, Steve, about redemption. I don't think we're calling Drew Brees irredeemable because of this. I think what Although we're saying he will is, be, he will be irredeemable in the eyes of many. Uh, that that's the, look. Uh, I, I'm sure in the eyes of many, some of the things that he did were never good enough because he, you know, he's made a hundred something million dollars and he's given back only X amount he's rich you know for for lifetimes and uh why couldn't he give more i i'm sorry i don't look at those people who find someone to be irredeemable when he makes a mistake you go and kill someone yeah that's probably irredeemable uh, you commit rape yeah that's pretty damn irredeemable you know you, you harm a child yeah that that's pretty irredeemable too Saying something, thinking something that was wrong, and then saying and then thinking something different because you learned from it, that to me is what redemption is. And that's what I'm looking for personally from Drew Brees. So I think think your issue with social media, bringing this back full circle, is that that you're getting caught up in the, the Twitter bubble. And and you're yes. you're walking into these situations that you know are. Why do you check trending topics? Don't know. If they piss you off, yep. If they piss know. you off, don't look at them. You're right. Just don't look at them. You're not wrong. You're right. I know you're right. I know I'm right too. Yeah. No, I I've know you're right, right about that part. I know you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're right about that. I'm right about the other stuff too. But you'll you'll come to see. <laughs> yeah. I. We, I, I've already kind of forgot what you've said to be able to directly respond to your last thing, so we'll just move on. But my point was why we started talking about Twitter, I've also forgot. Um, I know that's how we got there as we were talking about Twitter. Um, I may delete it, uh, but also when we're done talking. What are you going to wait? What are you going to delete? 
at sports underscore casters on Twitter. I'll delete it. Oh, I thought you. I thought you meant you were going to delete that part of the. Oh no no no! I'm leaving. I've never deleted anything from this podcast unless someone specifically asked me, and even then I tried to convince them not to delete it. But I've deleted. All right. I deleted something for John Wertheim, and I like one or two other things. Generally speaking, I don't even really edit. I absolutely won't take it out. But I might yeah, get I canceled. Tell. I don't know. Maybe I'll get canceled over it. I don't know. I kind of hope so. It'd be pretty <laughs> funny to see you get canceled. I, I Just after you after after complaining about cancel culture, right. like getting canceled would be a really good coda for this. It'd be interesting to see like how I could be more canceled, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to like like people have right. to know you to cancel. Right, right, right. Like how how do you cancel me more? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and then I was also going to say that, like, you know, as I, I'm saying in this breath, you know, I make like d- delete my Twitter. And also, like, when we're done, I'm going to say, like, hey, Jeff, when I tweet about this, can you please retweet it? Because you have 500,000 people that might help me. So, like, you know, there's a double edged yeah. sword there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, the problem is the problem is the answer is going to be no. I don't retweet podcasts that I go on to, man. Like, I, you know, I think that's something you you should reconsider in the sense that. All the other ones you go on probably don't need it. Um, and like, uh, I don't know. I retweet you. You know what I mean? Like, if you say something really great, I retweet it. Like, I don't know. Help yeah. me out. Tell your people that. I mean, you don't even have to retweet. Maybe you can quote tweet and say, hey, I did this thing. This guy's an idiot. Watch me destroy him in a Twitter debate or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Yeah, cancel cons- this consider, guy. Yeah, consider canceling this knucklehead. Block, block and report spam. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. Anything, I guess, you know, good. Any publicity might be good publicity for me. You know, here I am. Uh, when did Death to the BCS come out? 2011. So I'm nine years, 10 years in. Uh, it's time to make some kind of rumble. Uh, Was it really 2011? Yeah. The, the, so we talked the night after and Cam Newton's been in the news. We talked after the night after Cam Newton won the national championship for Auburn, uh, I believe, against Oregon. Um the next day, you and I did the very first interview in the history of the sportscasters. And that was, um, let's see, nine years ago now. Uh, almost nine, I suppose. Or no, yeah, nine. Nine, a full nine. January was nine. And um, there's been a few splashes. Like um, in 2012, I think, maybe 2012, I was the very first person to interview anyone from Guns N' Roses uh, after they were indu- announced that they were inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, and that's still by far my most downloaded podcast because I was able to spread it the right way. Um, in 2013, Jeff uh, or Richard Deitch and I kind of went viral for the picture thing, if you remember that. Um, and then 2014, Sports Illustrated uh, named the Sports Catch as one of the best sports podcasts of the year, and it was then and still today the only independent. Um, ever mentioned so that's that's the three things that have happened to this show so maybe it's time for a fourth pass and destroys podcast host <laughs> who has the temerity to stand up for drew Brees. right yes yes that could be the fourth thing my my parents would be proud <laughs> <laughs> my mom could go to work on monday and say hey did you hear about my son he's that asshole now <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, do we want to talk? I gotta let you go probably soon because you don't have all night for this. I'm sure. Do we want to talk at all about like what will happen if the games are played? Like who you think will be good? Is it true that any team is in play when it's only sixty games? Like could the Orioles somehow win this? 
No, the not Orioles that crazy. cannot win this. No. no. I would say there are like 25 teams that could make the playoffs, though. So. Okay. And then if you make it, right, I mean, you probably won't. I mean, just think just, just think of it this way. Yeah. A, th- a three-game winning streak in this season is equivalent to an eight-game winning streak in a normal season. A five-game losing streak in this season is equivalent to a 14-game losing streak in a regular season. When you when you look at it like that, yes, crazy things are very capable of happening. Right. The Nationals would be way out of it if uh, last year was 60 games, right? They would not have made it, I don't think. Oh, not a, yeah, not even close. Yeah. Yeah, so that's fun. I mean, that's a, that, that one like one reason besides I like to watch baseball. One reason I'd like to see this work out is because that it's fun. It'd be fun to see this one time in my life. Like, what would baseball be like if they had this incredibly small sample size? Like, that's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what's what's baseball like with the with an NFL type mentality? Except it's being played every day for nine straight weeks. Like Mike Francesa, I think, famously said the other day. That if he were the Yankees or the Dodgers, he would start ten and zero and never look back, which I think was funny because like, well, yeah, of course they would start ten and zero, you know. But I think he meant, yeah. What did he mean? Because that doesn't make sense. I think what he meant was like, you have to play April differently. You know, you have to play the first ten. Like maybe if you go three and seven, you know, in a normal April, eh, you know, whatever. Right. But now you there's a huge maybe pressure in his mind or a I hate that I have to try to make a point for Mike Francesa, who's like the richest sports radio host of all time. But I'm trying for him here. I think what he meant is that he was saying that the value of a 10 and 0 this year is much greater than a 10 and 0 in any other year. And the reciprocal also that, you know, three and seven could be a death nail versus any other year, whatever. Like, yeah, I don't think I don't think three and seven's a death knell, but I think you know, like one and nine is, and I know that's only two games difference, and you got a lot of time to make it up. But teams that t- teams that tend to start one and nine aren't very good, right? Or, or like whatever the pace the Nationals set last year was a death knell because they wouldn't have made it, and they went on to win the whole fucking thing, as they say in Major League, right? So, um. That's in, that is very interesting to me, and I guess since you're uh, on, I should ask you: like, is it interesting to you? And maybe like, what else? If this happens, are you curious about like the uniqueness of it? Presents certain things. Like, are there any that excite you? Yeah, I, I think the the idea that managers are going to be managing more aggressively early on in the season um, is is going to be good. But I also think that there's a balance there where. Because of the the limited spring training, you have a lot of guys who pr- may not be ready uh, to go out and stretch themselves at that point. So I, I'm curious if we get to a season, I'm very curious to see which team follows the protocols the best. And I say that because the more you follow the protocols, the likelier theoretically you are to stay healthy. And I think the teams that stay healthy are going to be the teams that win. Sure. Yeah, and that, that because, especially because you could lose a player for 14 days who's not even sick, right? Just the unique nature of this. Like, you could have a guy who's 100% healthy other than the fact that he's tested positive and he's gone. Yeah, weeks, I don't right? think it's going to be 14. I don't think it's 14 days. Oh, okay. I, think, I thought it was an automatic two-week quarantine if you tested positive. Nah, no? you need two, ne- you two, need negative? two negative tests okay. and, and to be completely asymptomatic. Okay. 
All right, I was wrong about that then. I'm sorry. But um, but uh, the point stands that, yeah, the players getting sick could certainly derail a team, especially if it's no like, Acuna, right, if he goes down. Oh, I got another name you were, you were debating with an idiot today about you threw out some baseball names, and Acuna, who I love, was on there, and you were sticking with Mahomes. What about our soccer kid for the next 10 years as the guy you buy the stock in? Christian Killian Mbappe. No, Killian Christian. Mbappe. No, Christian. Uh, how do you say his last name? Is it Pulisic? Pulisic. Yeah. What about him? Nah. He's twenty one. Soccer. Twenty one. Go soccer. You got. If you got. If you're gonna go soccer, you got to go Mbappe, don't you? Mm, in America, in the United States. Nah, I don't think we're. I think we're just talking about sports, though, right? Y- yeah, I guess. I guess my point is, is like a transcendent soccer star in the United States. And the value that would have to the world, like there's already transcendent soccer stars from Argentina and Italy and Germany and England. Like to have this guy, if he's like becomes the best, he's 21 years old and he's one of the best players in the Premier League. I've been told. I'm not a scout. Um, in two I mean, years, he's, very, he's 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 very he's very good. But uh, if you're not even the best in the world at what you do, then are you going to... Well, how old is Mahomes? 24, right? He's 24, yeah. Okay, so maybe this kid will be the best in the world when he's 24. He's still only 21. I, I hope so. Yeah, that'd be sweet. See, yeah, that'd be sweet. You know, I would love to, I would love to see a, a, a U.S. men's national team that actually makes the World Cup. Point is, your, your answer was probably right, though. I, I, I 100% agree with that's the guy. Uh, have you, did you get old take exposed? or You're there? What? Yeah, I'm here. You hear me? I hear you. Lost you for a second. Okay. Uh, I'll just cut that real quick. No big deal. Let me ask you this. Did you ever get put on freezing cold takes for your complaining about the Trent Richardson trade? Hold on one second. I'm in my car and it turned off, which is why uh, Uh, I lost this. You still sound good. I was on speaker there, though. There we go. Okay. Um, did I ever get put on freezing cold? What was my Trent Richardson take? I was thinking about this. You know how sometimes you just randomly think about something? Um, yes. I, you know how they, all they show now is old games, right? And so somehow I saw there was an Alabama game and Trent Richardson was on. And I randomly thought about the time you and I got into a heated, and I put that in quotes because it wasn't that heated, but a debate about whether or not the Browns had just made like the biggest mistake of all time when they traded Trent Richardson to the Colts, you were very mad. And obviously it turned out to be a good trade. I got, I don't remember who they got for the pick. Maybe it was Johnny Manziel and it's a wash. I don't know. But, um, I, I don't know. It's a random thing. You were just supposed to say like, yes or no. And kind of chuckle. Like we're too far down for this to be important or funny. now. Um, no, Ha ha ha! Yeah, great. Ha. Yeah, you were just you were just <laughs> supposed to remember and be like, yeah, man, I fucked that one up, you know, or something. I I, I just I, I honestly do not even remember that. Are you excited about the? Are you still a brown? Like you were a Browns guy then? Like are you still? Are you passionate about the Browns at all still? No, no, it's completely uh, gone. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things where. Um, if the Browns, it's like the Indians. If the Browns win, I will be very happy because my friends and family will be happy. Sure. I feel that way about the Bills, sort of. 
Um, I guess I would like them to win someday, I guess. Not really, though. Um, I was talking to Zach Meisel about the his book about Cleveland, Cleveland Rocked, and we talked about the 95 World Series, which is my favorite. Well, 91 is probably my favorite in my lifetime, but 95 is real close, and um, the Cubs that won and Indians was up there, too. Uh, but um, what was I going to ask you about that? Oh, uh, if the Browns like had that run, you would, you don't think you'd get like sucked back in? You know what I mean? Like, probably not. I no. mean, my kids are chief. My kids are Chiefs fans. True. So it's like I, you know, I can live vicariously through them. I get to take them to football games. Um, and would you cheer for love- the Browns in a Browns Chiefs AFC Championship game? Would you go head to head? No, no, you you you'd go with the kids. I I uh, here's why I go with the kids because okay. every single parent out there understands that when your child's team loses, they're depressed, mm. and when they're depressed, the the tenor of the household just changes. And selfishly, I just don't want to deal with annoying children. My dad has been on this; it's been in that position twice, and he reacted differently both times. So the first time was in 1987, shortly after WrestleMania three. I was seven years old, six years old, going on seven. We went to a TV WWF Superstars TV taping. My favorite wrestler is Ricky Steamboat. He had just won the Intercontinental t- Title from the Macho Man, and in devious fashion, he was stripped of the belt by the Honky Tonk Man. Of right course. in front of me, right in front of me, I cried for 45 minutes. My dad. Had- <laughs> I was so (laughs) devastated. (laughs) So my dad decided, like, this kid, this poor kid needs to regroup. He bought me nachos, like a Hulk rules foam finger. Said, like, come on, Hulk's going to be out. Like, let's go watch Hulk. And then, like, some guy spit green shit in Hulk's eyes. I'm right back to (laughs) devastated. (laughs) Right? So he handled me with, like, kids' gloves. Like, that night he was amazing. Like, buying buying me shit, like. Didn't say it's fake, but, like, trying to, like, make me feel like, you know, come on. You know, you'll be all right. right? A couple years later, the Saints and Bills are playing in Buffalo. He, he agrees to take me to the game uh, shortly after the strike. Oh, no, the strike was in 87. Oh, I know I was thinking the strike because in 89, John Forcade was the Saints quarterback. He also played during the strike year. They had to call on him again because uh, Bobby Bear was sitting out. And... Um, he was in a contract dispute and the saints in a snowstorm beat the bills, John, whatever my dad in like the second or third quarter said, you can't sit with me anymore. You got to go about 10 rows down. The saints are kneeling and I feel something on my back and I feel another thing. And I realize I'm getting pelted with snowballs and I look back oh, and sorry. it's my I dad. You, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to say the saints were kneeling and drew Brees starts yelling about it. No, he was a child still. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> no my dad and his friends were throwing snowballs at me they were i i think i think in both cases your father did 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 the right thing yeah and i guess yes i guess in 89 i was the happy child not the sad one but yeah he was great in 87 god bless my dad for the way he treated me when ricky steamboat had his intercontinental title ripped from him um erroneously all right, uh, Jeff Passan, you're my guy since day one. Thank you for that. Um, I know you don't do a lot of these, so it means a lot to me that you still do this one. Um, and 
you know, I don't know that you need plugs, right? You're almost like above that. You're at Jeff Passan on Twitter, and I watch you on ESPN. Oh, I'll all take all, I'll take all the I'll take all the plugs I can get. I will say this: I love your um your new your official backdrop, like your not the Owen Mills thing, but like the new with the Nintendo. <laughs> but I did like That's the pretty- I did like the Owen Mills one too. Um, yeah, the, the the fake the fake one was pretty great. I just tried to recreate the fake one as much as I could with the real one. And the Nintendo was a great addition. I think that was an addition. Was Nintendo on the no old, the no? no the Nintendo? It may not have always shown up in the old one. Yeah, it feels more I prominent know... now. It feels more. The, yeah, I... I was somehow always focused on the Rage Against the Machine album on the old one. That like always just grabbed my eye, probably because it's yellow, maybe. Yes. Yeah. There's there's that, and there was always I knew I was in the right position when my left earlobe was in the middle of the W from the Wu Tang Clan uh, logo. And you have the first lady of the sportscasters, uh, Jane. You have the Lost Boy on the shelf. I noticed that. I do. Yep. Good eye. Yep. And uh, of course, you have the arm. What else did I see on there? I saw a few books I really liked. The the last boy sticks yeah. out because you know I love Jane and she's so great to me as well. Um, anything else you want to mention or plug? What are you doing baseball season? Anything new or different or like? Do you have anything cool? Or, I, I mean, no, there. No. I don't get to like we don't get to cover games anymore. Right. Like I'm gonna go to stadiums and not see players. It's gonna be great. <laughs> you still gonna be <laughs> traveling to stadiums and what you being in the city, getting access outside or? You're not sure? Uh, that Completely TBD at this point. Yeah. I hope the answer is yes. I anticipate the answer being yes, but uh, we're, we're, in, we're in coronavirus times, my sure. friend. I, I don't think any of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone a couple weeks down the road. I have a safe assumption what the answer will be to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I oh. do, actually. Okay. I'm surprised. Go ahead. I'm Why excited. have you kept... Why have you kept me so long? Well, probably because we spent so much time on that Twitter nonsense. And it got away from us. That, that's probably why. If you're looking for a that reason. was the be- that was the that was the best part of the conversation. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was the realist, right? We were real. I, I, now I felt like I it was certainly wasn't the Trent. It bit. certainly wasn't the Trent Richardson part. <laughs> that was definitely no, not I, the best part. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna make exceptions, definitely edit out that part. Yeah. <laughs> no, I bombed before. I'll bomb again. Bombing sometimes can be funny too. Like you know, that's fair point. You know, one of my, you know, listeners will mock me for it, and that'll be fun. I actually gained. Like, you know what? One of my best. Fans. You know what, No, you go ahead. You yeah. know what they'll say? To, you know what they'll say to you? No, I don't. Ha, ha, ha. Yes, they will. All right, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honestly, I appreciate you. I'm sorry that there's always mine, buddy. I'm sorry for the nine thousand text messages that were uh, used. To, yeah, you. To, yeah, to, you. To, you to, are to very annoying. This. You are extremely annoying on text, but but, but then you uh, tell me to be what? annoying. You, you insist on it. I did. I, I do. Yes. I was just going to come in with a caveat, but yeah. you cut me off there. Oh, I was sorry. just going to say, but but I I always appreciate it because uh, you care. Yes. Yes, I do. I care about you, and I care about your son's happiness, too. I was one, one of the... One you of the very... care about your fucking podcast. Come on. Who who <laughs> texts you on the Monday after the Super Bowl to say, hey, I'm very happy for your son? It's one of the first things I well, thought of. Quite a few people, but it, it was... It was uh, it was a genuinely kind thing from you as well, and I appreciate it. A rare, a random thing about me is I know people's teams, and I know what song, what Pearl Jam song they love. Like if someone tells me 
Like, if they find out I really like Pearl Jam, they tell me, like, oh, I really like this song. I never forget that, you know, but that wasn't your I, question. What's the, what's, the, what's the best Pearl Jam song to write to? Oh, like, if I'm right, well, wouldn't it be an album? Because you're going to write anything in five minutes? Uh, no, I put songs on repeat. Oh, okay. Oh, um, hmm. One Pearl Jam song in my lifetime, well, two, that I've done that with where i put a song on repeat in high school i would play the song i got id on repeat weeks at a time at night going to sleep yeah and shortly after i originally got sick in 2003 um the first thing that they put out was lost dogs which is like a b-sides album um and one of the songs that i heard for the first time when i heard that because some of the lost dogs we already knew like ella better or wash or whatever but there's a song on there called Sad, um, which is originally called Letter to the Dead, which would have been a better title, but they went with Sad. Um, and the first time I heard it, I stopped the record cold and said, I'm listening to that for the next three hours. And it's probably <laughs> my favorite song. So if, if I'm just looking for one song in repeat, it would be either I Got It or Sad. And if you're looking for oh another thing i do is i have a black playlist of different live versions of black because it's evolved over the years and it's been very different so sometimes i listen to black over and over but because it's different live versions um so if you could somehow create that i would say that uh but if you're looking for an album i would say yield is the most like it's good to be on in the background when you're writing and you just kind of want to Yield is Give, given, give, given to Fly is a great writing song. Yeah, it's my daughter's favorite song, too. And my brother's. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very, I, I have spent many a night listening to that for hours. The, the, the last, very, very last story I'll tell you and I'll let you go. I knew I was probably the worst parent in the league at the time when my daughter said, well, Can we sing a song? And I said, What would you like to sing? And she said, Given to Fly. And I said, Sure. And we're singing it together. And I'm getting close to the part where he's going to say fuckers. And I think in my head, don't, yeah. don't say fuckers. Say something else. So I said something else. I forget what. And she immediately goes, Dad, it's fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> How old was she? She was uh, two and a half, three at the time. Yeah, three. Probably three. Father of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I thought immediately to myself, like, do I hope? my wife heard that or do i hope she didn't hear that like will she think it's funny or will she not think it's funny you know um but we did get a laugh out of it and then immediately reassessed our overall behavior but um perfect yes thank you buddy see you pal Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Jeff Passan for being on the podcast today Alright, quick book club update in a second, we are going to go to an interview that I did with Scott Ryan and David Lee Morgan. And, of course, way back in the day, uh, Scott was on the uh, book club, The Last Days of Letterman. Uh, we got a book hanging around uh, called Yogi. And it's by a guy named John Pessa. 
uh, Life Behind the Mask. I've been reading this. I'm almost done, and I've talked to John, and he is going to be a guest on the next episode of the Sportscasters. So now's the time, if you haven't, uh, to read Yogi. Uh, Also, we announced last time uh, that we have a new book that is still in the pre-order stage. And I talked to the author. His name is uh, Corbin Reef. And he has a book about Chris Cornell. And it's going to be out sometime in July. It's called Total Fucking Godhead. Uh, And it's available for pre-order. And I'm really looking forward to reading this. As soon as I'm done with Yogi, that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to have Corbin on uh, to talk about it. And I can't wait for that. He is a senior music writer for Up Rocks. uh, And he's written for Rolling Stone and Spin. Um, And I guess he lives in Chicago. And I'm looking forward to having him on to talk about Total Fucking Godhead. So we're doing that right now. Uh, Pessa is up next with his book called Yogi. Uh, and then in a second, like I said, we're going to go to this interview, uh, which is pretty long, with uh, Scott and David. So I'm going to bail out of this early so we can get to that. Uh, but I'll be back on the other side of the interview uh, with some plugs. And then, of course, one last thing. Our next guests are here to promote a book they have coming up about high school football and the Maslin Tigers and the great tradition, including their annual beatdowns in McKinley. Uh, Scott Ryan was here before to talk about his book about the Late Show with David Letterman. Uh, and David Lee Morgan is making his debut, so let's make it comfortable for both of them. A warm sportscaster's welcome. All right, Scott and David, what is going on? How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Good talking to you, Steve, from Buffalo. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. We're excited. So, Scott, you are a two-timer. Um, the last time... Wait a minute. What did my wife tell you? <laughs> the last time we had you on, you were promoting the one of my favorite books, really, in the history of doing this, The Last Days of Letterman, uh, The Final Six Weeks, which we talked about all of the um, beautiful pictures in it and how great it looks and we went over all the great stories i'm actually holding it in my hand right now and one thing i remember about it is kind of reading reading the the first thing i did when i got it is i went right to the the eddie vetter page from his one of his when he played better man on one of the last shows kind of i noticed like a little bit of a error in a fact i wasn't sure if it was really an error and i mentioned it to you how big of an asshole did you think i was for uh for correcting your life's work with that that suggestion. Well, I'll tell you, this is about to show you how big of an asshole I am. I don't <laughs> even remember that. Okay. I probably think you're wrong, and I was right, so it didn't even <laughs> register in my brain. Yeah, as so I'm, you trying correcting to, I'm trying me. to find it. Where the hell? Is hey, Steve. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you say that because I'm holding it in my hand as well. Okay. Because I love. The Letterman Show. Grew up watching it when I was in high school. Oh my God, loved it from day one. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful like book. Like the way it what got put together and the the beautiful color pictures and the aesthetics of it are really pretty. And I always yeah. like to kind of thumb through it and look at it. 
and the um, we had a guy on last a uh, few episodes ago who was talking about a book he wrote about the office and he used the um, the uh, the style that you used in the book the um, oral history style Scott why do you think that works so well with telling the story of a TV show seems like it's well, like the go to yeah i mean for me it's because we live in a time where history gets revised over and over again and it happens by someone who just likes a show and they want to sit down and talk about something and they put their own ideas in it instead of facts and i hate those books especially if you're a fan like you found an error with eddie vetter although i don't acknowledge okay it. you ready and hold on, um, hold, on. hold on let me oh, stop you it got then. it yeah i got it right yeah. here in front of me okay, okay. That's here. so this is what it says it's on page 241 of the book i have it says eddie vetter is the musical guest he first appeared on the show with Pearl Jam on February 27th, 1996. Okay, that's the first time Pearl Jam appeared on the show. That's correct. But he was on the show a year earlier by himself when he walked onto the set as a surprise to Dave set up by the bald guy to sing part of Black. Um, okay, but my sentence says right, the I guess first it's a time comma he was on thing, with... Pearl Jam. So I'm correct. I didn't say the first time he was on ever. It's the first time with Pearl Jam. Yeah, so it's, you uh, it's, see really, it's really semantics, I the guess. Error. No, it's not semantics. Well, he it's, first I'm right, appeared on wrong. the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, with Pearl Jam. you oh. got to use all the words. Okay. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It, it says he first <laughs> appeared on the show with Pearl Jam on right. February 27th. See? Okay. Well, he had already been on the show, so. Well, that yeah, that's true by himself, but not with Pearl Jam. Okay, fair enough. I should have cut my mouth shut. I guess. No, no, no. I now <laughs> look, look at it this way. The first time I didn't think you were an asshole, but now, now I you do. do. Okay, good. Mission accomplished. Though. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we had uh, we had fun with that book, and um, I love promoting it with you. And and on the appearance that day, you said, "Oh, this is a sports show." I got to mention that. I'm a big fan of my high school football team, the Maslin Tigers, and they have this famous high school rivalry with McKinley, and they almost got picked to be part to be the the Friday Night Lights story. It was like either them or the school in Texas, and whatever they decided to do Texas, whatever. And you're going on about your passion and your love, and how they never won the state tournament since you've been alive, and you wanted to win the state tournament. And since then, you've gotten me through two years, two times. I've been refreshing twitter for like five weeks in the fall to find oh out goodness. if this random high school team in ohio has made it to the next round of the state tournament and my, my wife was is saying to me many times like what what are you looking for the what why like who, <laughs> what high, high school what but yeah so um your passion for the Maslin tigers is what has led to you during last season to decide to bring uh, David into the fold and prepare to publish a book about the season. Again, it's called uh, The Maslin Tigers 15 for 15, and it's going to be out in the fall. So that's kind of the backstory and how we got here. So, Scott, why don't you start and, and, and sort of say why you decided last year was the year for the book, your kind of pre-thoughts, and then how you decided to get David involved and how the partnership came and the idea blossomed from there, and then we can get uh, David's take on that as well. 
Well, you know, the first thing that I love about this is that you got sucked in to what Maslin is all about. 100%. And this is what the Maslin Tigers do that because I'm a fan, you know, David, who wrote the book, is a coach of the Tigers. We have complete different views into it. He's right there in the middle of it. I'm, I've been a fan my whole life. I'm on the outside. And when you understand what Maslin is, which I get that, you know, a lot of your listeners may not know yet. But when you do, you get sucked up into it because it's a part of history that that I don't think exists in America anymore. I mean, it's just fading away, but it's it's all still alive. That passion for sports that isn't about money and product and promotion. It, it's about love and family and legacy. That That is alive in Madison, Ohio, this small, small town. Um, the, the last two seasons, Maslin has had an incredible run. Um, and it just was time to do a book. And this is a total true story. I wanted to do a book. I knew I couldn't write it because I'm too close to it. it it's, it's too much a part of my heart. I'm driving listening to a podcast and David Morgan is on the podcast and he is being interviewed as the running back coach of the Maslin Tigers. And in it, he says, I'm telling you, there's a book in this. Hmm. And while I'm driving across Pennsylvania, I was coming from New York City back home to Columbus, Ohio. I said to my wife, Google Maslin High School. I want to talk to this guy right now. We called the school. The phone rings. They ship me up to his class. I say, can I speak to Mr. Morgan, please? He gets on the phone and I said, I'm Scott Ryan. I'm from Fayetteville Mafia Press. And I want to publish your book about the Tigers. And David, you take it from there. Well, (laughs) it's... It's a crazy story. Um, I remember taking that call um, in the classroom, and and I had a class, actually. And I'm always telling my kids, because uh, Scott, uh, I'm sorry, Steve, I'm an English teacher, uh, journalism instructor, and I also teach senior writing workshops. So it's like creative writing. I'm always telling my kids, you know, write, write. You never know when a book is coming. You never know what you have that other people may want to read. So... When I got that call from Scott, I just thought, you know, this is this is so crazy because I never thought I would be coaching running backs. I never thought I'd be coaching at Maslin. I never thought I'd be teaching at Maslin, you know, given what my background was. So, um, but I just knew when I, when I started coaching, when I got the job, and I have to tell you how that all started. When I got the job, um, I knew it was just going to be for one year. I knew it. I knew I was only coaching one year, but as a, as a, as an author, you know, I've written what, this will be my eighth book. Um, as an author being in a, a unique experience and, uh, being in that position, I thought to myself, the first thing I have to do is start chronicling everything if I'm going to do this. And so that's how it started. I just, I had a little dollar general, one of those small little notepads and I kept it with me. And from day one, from the first hour, I just I just took notes every day. Just took like, you know, or or by the end of the week, I just jotted things down, knowing that I was going to write a book at the end of this. And th- that's how it all started. So you mentioned your background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? How did you end up in Ohio coaching this football team? 
Well, well, I'm from Ohio, and 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 I'll tell you, I'll tell you all the backstory. But so I, my, my, I have a degree in professional writing and editing, and a minor in journalism. So I've been a journalist for over thirty years. I started what maybe 1988, 89, 90, um, at Youngstown State. So I was there during those years when Coach Tressel was there, and. Youngstown State was winning all those national, you know, one AA national championships. So I, so I was a sports writer up until maybe five years ago. Um, uh, So, you know, I've worked all over the place. I worked in Youngstown, Ohio, Warren, Ohio. I worked in Raleigh, North Carolina, covering uh, minor league baseball. I covered the Durham Bulls, um, Carolina Mudcats. And then I worked for for the most uh, majority of my career. I worked for the Akron Beacon Journal. And that's where... Um, I covered LeBron James, got to know him from sixth grade all the way until, um, you know, his up till now. Um, so that's how everything started for me. And, you know, so I wrote a book with him, the first book called LeBron James, the rise of a star. It was the first biography, uh, did well. I mean, it's still selling well, what, uh, 16, 17 years later, um, wrote a book with, uh, Jim Trussell called more than a coach. So that's that was my background. So writing has always been in my background and always being in situations where is the, asking the question, is there a book here? Is there a book here? Would somebody want to read this? And so when I left um, the newspaper industry and decided to become an, uh, a, an English teacher, I had to go back to school. Um, I decided whatever school, you know, I applied all kinds of schools all over Ohio. And I said, whatever school calls me first, and offers first, I'm going to take that job. And it happened to be Maslin. Now, what's interesting is I went to Warren Harding, um, which back in the 70s and the 80s, I mean, it was, you know, the Warren Harding played Canton McKinley and Maslin. And the towns were the same, you know, blue collar, steel mill towns. They were the same. We hated Maslin. I hated Maslin. <laughs> I mean, I hated Maslin. And it's I didn't know this. The book's off. The book's canceled. <laughs> yeah, You're yeah. out of here, buddy. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I graduated the same year Chris Spillman graduated in, you know, 84. So Warren Harding, you know, we battled McKinley. We battled Maslin. I mean, going back to the 50s and 60s and 70s. So when you weren't part of Maslin, you hated Maslin because you felt like there was an arrogance about them. Sure. But when when you realize now, be, now that I'm, you know, I'm part of the Maslin family, you have a completely different uh, perspective of who the people are and why they are the way they are and how loyal, like Scott talked about, how loyal, you know, the community is and the people are and how hardworking they are. And once I kind of got into the family and got into the day to day I started to realize how special that city and that program is. Um, never knowing that I would coach football, though. Never, never, never thinking that ever. Now, why did you say that you knew it was a one-year thing? Why did it? Why was there a finite amount of time to it? Well, here's the thing, um, Steve. So I played college. I played football, basketball, and baseball sure. all through high school. And then my freshman year at Warren Harding, I quit football to concentrate on basketball and baseball because that's what I was going to play. So I played baseball for a year at Youngstown State. I was recruited, um, you know, a lot of different schools, but I played there. Um, So 
I coached JV baseball at Maslin, and I coached freshman basketball. But there was no way. I didn't have the acumen. I didn't have the – I wasn't a tactician in, in football. And you have to think about this. A lot of – you know, all the football coaches there are the best at what they do. So the last thing I ever thought I would be doing would be coaching football at a program like Maslin that sure. is 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 known nationwide. I mean, we've got coaches – you know, our, our, our coaching staff and our, our head coach, I mean, our offensive coordinator is from Georgia. He packed his kids and his wife and moved up here. They met, um, Coach Moore, they met at a, a, a football clinic in Texas, I think, or, or in Florida. So these guys know what they're doing. They're the best. And so when, when Coach Moore asked me to come on board at the last minute, and me, not me, uh, you know, the last thing I ever thought I would be doing was coaching football at Maslin. I knew it was going to be a one one time only thing because I know how much time and effort the coaches put it. It's 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 three sixty five for them. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that. I knew my okay. wife wasn't going to sure. want me to do that. And hey, I uh, Dave, can you tell him uh, Coach Moore's quote for the book on, on on you being an applicant? Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So um, in, in the book, I have, you know, I kind of wanted to mix, you know, have some fun in it. So I had all the coaches kind of almost like a roast. And I said, hey, you know, give me something about me. And Coach Moore said, well, you know what? He said, if I had 30,000 applicants, you were 29,999. <laughs> and, and, and he said, and he said, if Bobby Boucher, the water boy, uh, you know, Adam Sandler from the water sure, boy, yeah. he said, he said, that's probably the only guy you beat out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well. and, and, and that was true because I had no, I had no coaching experience. I had never coached high school football. I've never coached football, actually, except for CYO when my kids were in CYO in fifth and sixth grade. I've never coached high school football. And that that's kind of a, that's that's what's so ironic about this. This whole thing is I never coached high school. I knew the game. I mean, I covered the you know, I've covered the NFL. I've covered, you know, um, you know, college football, division one college football, covered Ohio State, you know, covered the Mac you know, with Buffalo and Northern Illinois and, sure, yeah. and Akron and Kent, Bowling Green, you name it. That was my beat at the Beacon Journal. I was the Mac beat writer. I knew football. I didn't know how to coach it. And so when I was asked to coach at the last minute, my first thing was, okay, well, I had to, there's a whole process about, you know, if I was going to do it. But once I decided, the first thing I thought was, I'm just going to, you know, take notes on this because it's going to be one and done. And I'm going to write a book about this experience. Uh, Scott, you were talking about buying in how I got kind of sucked in and everything. And, you know, I'm re I was researching like, and then I'm like telling people like, yeah, you know, they're kind of, they're playing above their, their, you know, they're like up a level and they're, they're doing good. And they got the bureaucracy of Ohio athletics against them. And, you know, like, but they got, the, oh, yeah. you know, they got the squad. So I, like, I don't know why I even know any of that, but I, you know, I got into that. <laughs> and part part of it is, to be honest, part of it is, I've been a huge New Orleans Saints fan since 1987, and it's a big part of my identity. It's a big part of who I am. People know it about me, and 
I'm very passionate about it. And I don't like – I'm not the kind of guy who will call his friend who likes the Bears and say like, ha, we beat you or something like that because I would be mortified to get that call back. Like I'm not that kind oh, of a guy. You know I what I mean? Just, thank you for saying that. And That's exactly how I am. Good job. It's too personal and it, I, it's just I'm not in the mood for that. And um, so I don't do that to other people. And in fact, I go the other way. And when I know someone, even just a little bit, that interaction that we had – and, you know, I liked you and I liked the time and I liked your book and I liked promoting it. And we made a, a little bit of a bond. It goes the other way for me where I want to see your team win. I, I want you to feel like I felt on, you know, February 7th, 2010, when the Saints won Super Bowl 44. You know, like I, I, I that's kind of how I am for whatever reason. And um, so I got I got into following the scores and and hoping for the team to win. Um what maybe Scott? Well, you can tell, let me let yeah, me ask you one more question while we're there, though. But yeah. because I think it's fascinating, because Dave and I have no perspective because we we're too in. What does Maslin look like when you were watching the games? I'm sure you're seeing the clips. Maybe yeah. you even saw the first down in the Hoban game mm-hmm. where the yep. crowd explodes. I mean, what does it look like to you that that's high school football? Right. Well, what it looks like is. So I live in North Tonawanda, New York, suburb of Buffalo, um, and football is, is probably relative to the rest of what's around me. This is a, a hot spot. And they actually won the state, the New York State title, I think, in 2007, eight, something like that. So a relatively successful program, but they're also facing the issues of where do they fit in terms of where should they play because the school is, has um, declined in size, but that hasn't matched you know they're still playing where they were when they were big and whatever but um so my experiences through high school football this is a hockey city you know um especially you you know this is where patrick kane is from you know like that's what where the great athletes from here are so high school football can be kind of an afterthought so when i see something like that in ohio it's like okay this is friday night lights you know this is what high school football is around the country that we don't have yeah, we got a nice little stadium with a field turf, and people go there on a Friday now and again. But this is what it means for it to be the lifeblood of a town or a city. Like, so it's it's a different perspective. It's a way to understand like that high school football can mean to uh, Maslin what the Buffalo Sabers or the Buffalo Bills mean to Buffalo. You know, so it's it, that that's what I see when I look in. Like, okay, this is why. They wanted to use this as Friday Night Lights because this is what it is. This is this is the real deal. This is why Ohio State can be a national power because this is what high school football is like in Ohio. So that's what I see when I look in. Well, you 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 called it. Um, I mean, it is interesting that you know that city and this area. You know, it's just so embedded, and you look you can look back and and. The fact that pro football was, was you know, was invented here in Canton, right down the street, you know, 15, 20, 20 miles from Maslin. Um, matter of fact, if you go down t- the street, it's called Tuscarora's, it says pro football corridor because, you know, in 12 minutes you go from Canton, Ohio to Maslin and, you know, the history all along that area. Um, it, it is amazing. And, and it goes and it goes back not just decades. I mean, I mean, we're going back to, you know, 1894, you know, when 
Maslin football, you know, started and just all of those years, all those decades, all those generations of that team, you know, winning and being successful year after year after year after year. And, you know, that doesn't just happen. You know, it, it it's something that was going on for so long that that's what's embedded in this the fabric of this community. And that's why people like you who are on the outside. They could see it. Scott and I, we're, we're involved in it. And, and, and it's actually, for me, um, I really didn't get a, a, a taste or get a chance to experience really fully what it was like until after the season, to be honest with you. Because when you're in it, you don't see anything outside of that. Right. You don't you're see so anything in. outside of that. You know, I, you know, you know what? I could tell you this. When I was a sports writer and I was covering the Cavs or, you know, whatever. And you, and reporters would ask players, Hey, did you read the story? And they say, Oh, you know, I don't read the papers. Uh, you know what? I used to say that's bullshit. <laughs> they, they, they had to have seen that, but you know what? Honestly, I get it now because after, week after week after week, I didn't. I I didn't read the paper. I didn't have time to read the paper. I didn't have time to watch the news. Maybe on Friday night, you know, when they had the clips of our highlights for a quick second, but they had everybody's. But outside of that, it was just you were so involved in getting ready for the next week. You didn't have time to even worry about what other people were talking about. And that's I I got that. So for me, I didn't get a chance to really look back at what. I experience until after the season. Yeah. One other thing for me kind of on all this too is um, a couple of years back, a, a writer, a sports writer named uh, SL price was on the show. He's one of the best sports writers in the history of sports writing. Really. I think he's been in best American sports writing nine times. Yeah. I, I had him on because he had written an article for sports illustrated about high school football in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And um, I knew someone who went to Aliquippa or was from Aliquippa. So it made it interesting to me. Oh, here's this story about where my friend's from. And then I was really interested in how this small place in Pennsylvania had produced, you know, Tony Dorsett and Mike Dicka and Ty Law and all these great football players in this one little area. Because in Buffalo, we have this place called South Buffalo that has created all these great hockey players. Whatever. It's a topic that was interesting to me. And then Scott, uh, SL Price Scott is his name. He decided then to turn that into a book. And we kind of tracked tracked it from there with him kind of oh what's going on with the book what have you done? every time he would be on we'd kind of say to him like you know where you stand and then the book became a thing that came to my house you know and i got to read that and it just gave me another layer of understanding of what high school football means in these different areas that it doesn't necessarily mean where i live so it it helped me understand a little bit more so i think uh meeting uh you scott when i did and our paths crossing it was a perfect time for me to want to sort of you know get myself wrapped in in a story like this and the times made it easy to do it right the twitter made it easy for me to watch clips and read articles and to follow it so really the timing of it was was really strong as well i think yeah um scott let me ask you so let's let's start to get into the season that the book's about um Scott, I think since we – it's two seasons I've been following this, and both times I believe the team has went to the final or at least the semifinal. Yeah, we went, no, we went to the yeah, state final championship two years ago. Yeah, that's what I thought. So after the first season and they get so close and you look forward to the next season, had you already kind of thought about 
hey, maybe there should maybe we should follow this next season closely. Like we were so close to doing that thing and we didn't, but man, it really feels like it could be next year. Should we? Was the idea already? Brewing yes. there or did it oh, not yes. happen till the I call? mean, yeah. without a doubt. And a lot of it has to do with the senior class, which uh, Dave really focuses in on a lot of those players. And I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess, David, that they played 44 games, that senior uh, class or something? or Yeah, I think, was, I think it was 30. It's 38, 38 because um, it was... Um, no, it's got to be more than 38, because no, it was 15, 15, and probably 14. So they might have played uh, 44. Anyway, you normally play. Right. Um, you might play, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, 30 games in three years, and they've they played like 44 in three years, more than any senior class ever at Maslin in any level over. And it's hard to set records at Maslin. You're talking about 127 years of football or whatever. Um, And they just rewrote every passing record, scoring record, running back record. I mean, so I knew. But again, I knew I couldn't write the book. I mean, it's just, for me, it's so much about family. Like, and, and um, my dad took me to the games, and it's just, and I go with my son, and, you know, that's what happens in Maslin. And um, so, to stum- it's funny, I didn't know David Morgan was a writer when I asked him to write the book. <laughs> I didn't know. You hadn't read the LeBron book, huh? I didn't know who he was. I, I yeah, stopped did, the podcast. We, we I didn't, didn't know, finish the We didn't podcast. know each other. No. I didn't know who he was at all. I, he, when I called him is when he told me he'd written other books. And I'm like, oh, that makes it even better. This <laughs> is one of those, this is one of those like stars aligning kind of a thing, right? Like this is where a lot of things had to happen to get you guys in that same spot. And I mean, it feels like, David, in a lot of ways you were meant to write this book. I don't know if you feel that way, but it, it sort of feels like why else is this 29,995th applicant this coach right. it feels like it was no, to write you know, this book you know what you know it's a good point it, it, it's something interesting to think about because you know the coincidences are, are great i mean you know you given the fact that you know i grew up um about maybe 45 50 minutes away from maslin at a high school that used to battle maslin for years for decades um a school that i hated just because they were always so good everybody you know disliked mass and because they were so good every year even though even though they didn't win the state championship they were just a powerhouse and so um just everything did line up the right way um and it was it was you know it just everything fell in the pl- into place at the right time i was at the right place at the right time because i could have been at any other school i could have been anywhere in the state i could have been anywhere but i happened to be at maslin at the time that um you know, they were playing well, you know, the last couple of years. Um, and this was a year we thought we could win it. Um, so, yeah, it's just just the way it all came together was just. And uh, explain, explain to people what 15 for 15 means, because, you know, I love it so much. And if anyone's listening who wants to make a movie of this book, Get in now because I'm telling you this is going to be a movie. Because um, the fifteen for fifteen is is so cinematic. 
Yeah, it's great. So the 15 for 15, um, our coach, um, our defensive line coach, um, J.P. Simon, he played at, he played at Maslin and he ended up playing at uh, University of Cincinnati. So a couple years ago, it was him and Coach Roddy, uh, Terrence Roddy, who he was um, running backs coach and, and kind of a strength guy. He's no longer with us. He moved on to a different um, school. But a couple years ago, they decided to, after every scrimmage, like during the preseason, they decided to do 15. Actually, it was before that. It was during the preseason, like dating back to like February, January, February, March. After every workout, all the players would uh, do 15 push-ups because it symbolized how many games you needed to win um, to win a state championship. So um, that carried into the the three preseason games. And so after the last preseason game, one of the players went up to coach Simon and say, coach Simon, you know, this has been part of what we've been doing for the last, you know, all the workouts from January all the way through, we can't just end it. Why don't we just continue to do that after every game um, as part of our, our, you know, our goal to win a state championship. So that started a couple years ago, I think last year, the year before. So um, at the end of every game, uh, Coach Simon would um, stand in the middle of the field and all the players would circle around him and he would have a whistle and he would just count out loud and blow the whistle. One, two, and all the guys would do the push-ups. Um, and w- what's so great about it is it got so big, you know, it just started to grow. That whole concept started to grow to where, our cheerleaders would, would circle us. And, you know, our cheerleaders, we would have June JV cheerleaders, you know, the whole crew. So, you know, you had about maybe 20, 25 cheerleaders. Um, they would be down doing, you know, boy pushups, just like the, just like our guys. Um, and that became a staple um, to the point where fans like Scott, they would stay after the game and, and they would wait uh, for that count. And, when Coach Simon would blow that whistle, we would have our fans, whether it was home or away, our fans would start, you know, you know, the count one, two, three. And so when you have all of those fans in the stands, you know, kind of supporting you and knowing what this is all about and knowing what it's for and what it stands for, um, it just became part of, uh, you know, our our culture and, and part of our, um, you know, what we wanted to do and what we stood for. So that's how that started. And, you know, the thing of it is, um, what was the St. Louis game, Dave? Do you, do you remember what team that was from la- the year before? Yeah, you, you mean the, um, yeah, that was. Um, I, I, I can't I think of their, I can't uh, think of their name. St. Louis Saint, something. East St. Louis. So it was a classic game. It's on YouTube, Maslin versus St. Louis. It is a barn burner of a game. I mean, we're talking high scoring all the way down to the last possession I'm going to guess the score was 38-33, I don't know, 44-42, you know, one of those kinds of games. 46-40. 46-40. Good job. Yeah. Thank goodness for Google. Right. Um, you know, it was a long game, lots of big passing plays, so, you know, it wasn't a short game. Maslin wins that game, and they still, just think how tired you are. You play for three hours, and that team gets in that circle and the whole town you got 10 15 and it's some of the big games 20 30,000 people cheering one two and i mean it 
It is so exciting. I mean, it's such a community. Like, we are all doing those push-ups with them. And we never talked about calling this book anything else but 15 for 15. It wasn't even a topic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Okay, you got one more thought on that? Go ahead. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, I was just saying, you know, when you go in our locker room or in the weight room, you know, there's just there's just big big, you know, posters just just the number 15. They're just they're placed all over the locker room or all over the weight room. Doesn't there's nothing else. It's just the number 15 because that's what we play for every year. And here, you know, let me let me just add this to. Um, you know, most uh, most schools, I mean, most of the schools around us in Northeast Ohio, and, and and even throughout Ohio, most of the schools, they they're in a league, so they're playing for a league championship. I mean, obviously they want to win a state championship, obviously, but in the sequential order, it's 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 like, hey guys, let's win our league, let's win the regional championship, or let's make the playoffs, win a regional championship, and then let's let's play for a state championship. Well, you know, for Maslin, we're not in a league. We haven't been in a league in decades. I mean, even I mean, I want to go back to maybe the fifties or sixties, maybe late, maybe late sixties, seventies. We haven't been in a league. So, our goal has has never been to win a league championship. Our goal is to win a state championship. That's our goal. Our goal. Our goal is to win a state championship. So. Those expectations have already been set. Our players already know that, even when they're in fourth and fifth grade, even third grade. Our our players already know what the expectations are. And they already have that responsibility and those accountability. They're accountable for that. That's what they dream about. They They grow up dreaming about being the one to do that. They're not really, those kids aren't really dreaming about playing in the NFL or even Ohio State. Yeah, if you I'm assume if you're from there, you're really dreaming about being a tiger and winning the state. You're, championship. No, no no question. There, there's no question. They want to win a state championship. That's that's what our goal is. So, you know, th- that's the whole thing with the 15 for 15 and the the expectations. There's no expectation of winning the, you know, winning the league championship and then let's go into the playoffs. The playoffs for us is we're already expecting to make the playoffs. It's not a, a it's not like we're arrogant or or it's a given or or you know we take it for granted. We just know that um, because of our expectations and how we're going to play week week by week, that's going to get us in the playoffs. We know that. We know that if we play up to our ability, we're going to make the playoffs. So our goal is to win a regional championship so that that catapults us into the final four. That's our goal every year. And so um, you you can't it, – it, it's it's different than a, a coach coming in and saying, okay, I, I need you guys to believe in us that we could win a state championship. That's – we don't have to deal with that. We're not we're, – we don't have to build a four- or five-year culture of, hey, let's try to win a state championship because that culture is already there. So when we don't win a state championship, it doesn't dim- diminish that season – because it's just almost like a let's retool, let's figure out what we didn't do right so that this journey can continue. So it's almost like um, it's just uh, it, it, it's just it's put on hold for a few months. Sure. Until we could get back at it. And then it starts with the 15 for 15 in January because 
you know, when we're back in the weight room. That's when it all starts again. So that 15 for 15, it, it, it never wavers. It's always there because that's what the goal is. So I think, you know, that's why Scott said that 15 for 15 is so important because it's how we live. It's what we breathe every year uh, to win those 15 games so that we could finally win a Ohio State high school playoff championship, which hasn't been done. Let's talk a little bit about the season itself. Now, you mentioned the regular season. You look at it. I mean, I'm searching for something to talk about with a lot of these games because it's 55-13 and 49-7 and 56 nothing. And then yeah. you, you kind of get to the Kent McKinley game, which, Scott, if you want to talk about this, this is the rivalry game. This is the... This is the game you circle every year, whether or not you think you're a state championship potential team or not. Um, talk a little bit about this year's Canton game, the rivalry with Canton, and what? Let me ask you this. Well, okay, let's just start about the about the rivalry with Canton and this year's game, and then I want to ask you something else more specific about it. But go ahead. Well, I'll tell you, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and of course, if you live in Columbus, it is Buckeye country. And so I, everyone I know is a Buckeye fan, and the Michigan-Buckeye game is a big deal. And I, I'm not from here. I'm from Masson. So when I go someplace, I always tell someone, well, yeah, the Michigan-Ohio State game is cute, but it's, <laughs> it's not the Masson-McKinley game. You know, when you're in Masson and you lose the McKinley game, when you go to the bank, if that teller is from Canton, they're going to cash your check, sure, but they're going to tell you what the score was. You know, the yeah, grocer like is going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen when you lose to Michigan. So we lost to Michigan. You don't see anyone from Michigan in Columbus. It doesn't hurt you like it hurts. I mean, I picked up a pizza after probably seven weeks after a Massa McKinley game where we won. And I did, I'm going through the drive-thru, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And the, I remember the driver handing me my pizza and says, you know, your shirt sucks. And I looked at <laughs> I, of course, had Maslin on. And then you wonder about your pizza. Sure. You know? yeah, luckily, he didn't um, see it until he was handing it to you. It, yeah. There's no way you can explain the Maslin-McKinley game to someone who hasn't experienced it. But and, it is Christmas in Maslin. Hey, Scott, let me tell you this. Um, that's funny you say that because yesterday, you know, it's it's kind of ironic. I went to Warren Harding, which was kind of a rival of McKinley and Maslin. Um, I live in Canton. I live in Canton. And yesterday I went to the Irish uh, exchange to pick up my food. And I had my McKinley, I mean, my Maslin um, uh, hot jacket on. I had my Maslin hat on. I had my Maslin shorts. And... <laughs> The guy opens the door to let me in to pick up my carryout, and he jokingly says, "Get the hell out of there! With, get the hell out of here with that shit on." <laughs> yeah, it happens everywhere. I mean, it's crazy. The first time I took my wife to a Beat McKinley parade, the night before the Massa McKinley game, they shut down all the streets in Maslin, and there is a parade. You know, it doesn't matter if we're three and seven or nine and zero. Oh. Um, that l- everyone in Maslin goes, and I met my wife in Columbus. We went to the first game. She couldn't believe. She was like, "Are you? Well, th- it's this big?" I'm like, "Yeah, you got to get there early. Like, come on, you got to get a spot." And you know, the team goes down, and and the band, and everything. And then we went to get ice cream, 
And I remember the waiter, we had masks and stuff on, and, you know, they set the Sunday down and said, like, this is for you, right to me. And my wife immediately said, I'm from Columbus. I'm not from Maslin. (laughs) She was worried about what was in her ice cream. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. And when people read his chapter, oh, I'm I'm just saying his chapter on the Maslin McKinley game is going to blow people's minds because I don't think we should tell your story about the bus, Dave. Let's save that. Let's make these son of a guns get the book. But I mean, mean, it's amazing. Can I I share, um, can I share um, part of, because in this chapter I have um, um, Coach Webb's letter and there's just something in here that I wanted to read. If you don't mind, yeah, yeah, go find it. Find oh, I have, I have it right here. All right, go right for here. it. So, 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 uh, Steve, this just tells you how important this game is. Okay, so Coach Weber, he played in the '80s, in the early '80s, and he played with Chris Spillman. So he graduated in '83. He graduated a year. I think actually we graduated the same year in high school. He's a year older than me. So, um, he, and he and he played at Maslin. Um, so he would write letters to the players every Thursday night, and they were great. But this is just part of what he said about the mask and this, the McKinley game, and it, it, it kind of will put you in, give you some perspective. He says, does telling you that on that bus trip you assume the weight of the town and our history on your back seem like it's putting pressure on you? Damn right is it's putting pressure on you, a lot of pressure. You need to embrace and understand the weight on your back. Do not lose this game. You don't want to live with losing this game because you will live with it. It will come back to haunt you one day, a year, every time you are around anything associated with masculine football. Wow. You don't want to be number 54. That's, that's, that's the, the, the number of losses. You will sure. never get it back. You will have to live with it forever. That's what it's all about. This is a coach telling these players – you better not lose this game because you're going to live with it the rest of your life. I mean, why would a coach tell a player that? Why would a coach want to put that much pressure? Well, the the kids already know. Pressure's already there, yeah. They already know. They've accepted that pressure. They've lived with it. They've heard their mom and dad talk about it at the dinner table since they were babies. They know what that game means. So... It goes back to that, you know, we were talking about pressure. They already know what the pressure is, and they know losing to McKinley is something they never want to live with the rest of their lives because they'll see it every day. They'll hear it every day, and especially once football season comes around, and especially during week 10 of every week 10 of every, you know, all their lives. Week 10, they'll always remember, I lost to McKinley. Well, no. well, and I won't Go even ahead, schedule anything. The Mass McKinley game is at 2 o'clock on a Saturday. And a lot of times my mom will say, well, why don't you come for dinner after the game? And I won't do it because if we lose the Mass McKinley going game, home, yeah. I'm going home yeah. and nobody wants to talk to me. Like 
There are so many Sundays that I remember taking the kids trick or treat and just thinking, oh, if they didn't drop that pass, if we would have ran there, you know, or thinking, ha, 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 we got them, you know, we got a year of holding your head up. I mean, it's it is something that is insane to explain to someone. And it's because Maslin and Canton are whatever, six, 10 miles apart. So you're intermingled so much between the enemy. Well, and we yeah. do respect them. I do want to say that. We we want McKinley to go 9 and 1 every year. Sure. Yeah. When the Saints uh, had their playoff game this year, the 24 hours before and all the way up to before overtime started, my phone didn't stop. Good luck. Hope the Saints win. You know, whatever. They lose the game. I didn't get a call or a text message or a Facebook message for like 36 hours. Everyone, That's respect. Yeah, everyone knew. Uh, okay, just going to give him a space on that. So they win the McKinley game. A uh, couple of uh, great wins to start the playoffs. Uh, a close game um, against uh, Hoban, Archbishop Hoban, 17-14. I remember following that one real closely online. I think uh, you guys got ahead and then held on, if I recall correctly. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But then the next week, I want to talk about this game for a second against Avon because they are um, in the middle of a dynasty at this point, right? They have won several championships in a row or competed for them. Talk a little bit about this game and kind of put in perspective how big it was and, um, you know, going into it, what the thoughts were and, and how it felt to win it. Just kind of talk about, about that second to last game, the 14 out of 15, I suppose. Yeah, well, you know, Avon, I'll be honest with you, you know, no disrespect to Avon at all. Um, but we didn't look at the Avon game like, okay, you know, this is the one before the state champion. We've got to do this. We didn't put any pressure on ourselves because we scrimmaged Avon. Um, the, our first scrimmage was against Avon. Uh, and we had scrimmaged them before, and you know we handled them well. So we knew we knew what Avon was all about. We knew the type of you know we we knew them. Their coaching staff was a great coaching staff. Um, a lot, a few of those guys are from our area, so we kind of knew who they were. Um, the biggest thing for us in that game, it, it it wasn't about it wasn't more about what Avon could do. It was more what do we need to do, and then offensively, how are we going to respond? with not having Terrence keys um, um, in the backfield because Terrence didn't play that game for us. And he was our leading, you know, he was all state running back, you know, rushed for, I think I want to say almost 1500 yards. He was injured against um, Hoban. He got hurt in Hoban in the Hoban game. He, um, he tweaked his ankle really bad and he had, uh, he had some sore ribs because he got really banged up in that game. So he didn't play. He didn't play that um, that Avon game, so that's what we were worried about. We were—I I shouldn't say we were worried. I was a little—I think I was a little mixed up anyway, because it was actually Hoban that was the team that had won, beat you guys in the states the year before, and won a few in a row. Correct? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, right. That's just—that's my mistake um, as a non-Ohio football. Oh no! That's, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We can talk about that game. Okay, yeah, because the the, the Avon game really wasn't, you know, yeah, right. I, like I said, that's you, that's you my bad. Because do you no, want to no, okay. do you no. want to ask the question again? No, I, I think we we got the no. I'm not going to do that. That's fine. I, 
I, this is one of those rare cases where I don't have a chance to read the book ahead of time, so it's not like you no, can blame me no. for yeah. faulty research no, on that. No, I just I, – look, at I followed this really closely, but the names to me are yeah. – mean nothing. Yeah, no. I no, remember I, that there was a team you guys played in the playoffs uh, that had yeah. beaten you in the state final the year before and had won yeah. a few in a row and were kind of giants in the state. And I remember the feeling of, wow, they got past them. They unseated right. them. And that's right. kind of really what I was going through for in the story. I just messed up the teams. But, hey, it's good background on Avon anyway. So, no, no, listen. Yeah. It, that's very understandable because they both start with an A. Yeah, I mean – They I, all I mean the it. same to me. Yeah I, yeah, I get it. No, but that's a good point because the Hoban game was – you know, that was a – that was – that was the game that that really obviously we had to win but that was this most people thought that was going to be the state championship game um because hoban had won i want to say they won three in a row i want to say four but i wanted to say three in a row too but i didn't want to be wrong that was what was kind of i think it was three and and if they would have won it would have been four in a row so so yeah but here's the thing with the hoban game um, and, and I write about this in the book because I talked to our offensive or I'm sorry, defensive coordinators, um, in the, in the state final game the year before we, I wasn't on the staff, but I was, I went to every game and I was, I was there and I know the kids and I know the coaches, they, they all, they all were, they all agreed that there was somewhat of a kind of a, you know, they were a little bit afraid of Hoban because of all the success they had. And the fact that we didn't have our star running back, Jameer um, Thomas, he, he had gotten hurt. Um, I, I want to say the game before. So Jameer didn't play. So that, that you know, that made a lot of our guys um, that they, they lost some confidence. They, I, I mean, I think they did. And they, and they told me that because, you know, he was a big part of he was, you know, he's the he's the all time leading rusher. And now you don't have that guy. And and with how great of a, a program Hoban was, we were we were a little bit taken aback by them. And it showed at the beginning of the game. But it got to a point in the third quarter where we started to just, like, you know, our coaches even said it. I remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, they said we weren't really there was no die in any of the kids' eyes. They were like, okay, look, we could play with them. Let's get, let's get going. We started off slow. Um, and it's because maybe we thought we couldn't play with them, but now we know we can. And in that second half, you could start to see the momentum change. The momentum started to change. Hoban saw it and they felt it. And we cut the lead to within six. And this is, this was, and people will talk about this. The coaches talk about it. <coughs> Excuse me. We had them down. Um, we were down six and we had a fourth and two. We held them. We had scored. We had scored like two or three possessions in a row. Cut it to six. And they, we had, we had them fourth and two. Hoban called a timeout. And we knew they were going to um, uh, fake punt. We knew it. And we knew if we stopped them, we were going to score and win this game. And they come out of the timeout and they, they ran a fake punt and they got the first down. And eventually scored, and that was the difference. Um, our slow start is what killed us then. However, the following year, this year, there was no doubt that we felt like we could beat Hoban. We knew if we just played a great game, we knew they were a great team. We knew our defense was going to have to step up. And it was a defensive battle. I mean, it was a de- great defensive game. And that's where part of our leadership, senior leadership, stepped up with Ben Creekbaum and Preston Hodges. I mean, 
those guys stepped up, and it was Creekbaum who kind of sacked Hoban's quarterback late in the game that, you know, stopped their drive uh, on fourth down because I think they were heading in, and if we don't make that play, they win the game. And so our senior leadership, you know, stepped up. We made that stop, and then when we got the ball back, we got a first down, and that was it. And it was funny because after that game was over, we didn't really have time to celebrate. We were like, okay, you know, that was one and done. We knocked them off. Now let's move on to Avon. So we were proud of those guys for remembering how slow of a start we had the year before and not to let that happen. Um, But our seniors, like Scott talked about, our seniors didn't want to go out again like that. And they stepped up. And that's where that senior leadership, you'll read about, you know, that uh, in their chapter. That's what helped us win that game. And that's what I wanted to get there. And as a bonus, you also got to hear about how uh, Avon was a cakewalk in the semis. All right. (laughs) So (laughs) no disrespect to them. So uh, we... I will, I'm, I'm just going to say one yeah, quick thing about Avon. Their quarterback got hurt, and they put in someone who had never played quarterback before. Yeah. And they actually gave Maslin kind of a run for their money. Not really, but kind of. I'm not, I'm not overselling it. But, I mean, that kid did a great job. It, it, if I had to pick the best other team player of the year, it would have been that kid they put in for quarterback for Avon because he he just did a great job. I can't imagine the pressure of never playing and going in, you know, at a state semifinals yes, against Scott, Mas- he, he, that Maslin yeah, was going to win. I mean, no disrespect against Avon. After right. we beat Hoban, yeah. we could have played the Pittsburgh Steelers the next week and won just because the team was so high. But yeah. that kid was incredible. He played a great game. You're absolutely right. And the, the problem we had... Do you know his was, name, just so we could I, say I, it? I don't. I, I can't yeah, remember right. his name. But, you know, the biggest thing <coughs> with him was he just kept... You know, there, there were so many sustained drives because he would we'd, we'd have them third and eight or third and four, and he'd pick up 12. And they just continued drives because he would convert third down or fourth down conversions. And he ran the option. That's all. He just ran. I think. I think he even. T- um, he was actually. I don't even think he. Uh, I think he was just in a um, shotgun, and he was. Yeah, just, I think he was a receiver was, all year or something. He was a receiver um, all year, and then they just put him in the wildcat and just let him run. And we just we couldn't stop him. I mean, do you guys know his we, number? We, um, I don't. I don't remember. I think was he number two? Maybe I can't remember. I don't know, but he number was incredible. Five? I don't know. I, no. I, I can't okay. remember. Well, whatever. Not not important. He was. He yeah, was, we gave him a tip of that. Talented. Sure, yeah. we we got it out yeah. there. The, someone who whoever he is, he, he knows. Um. All right. So let's get to the state final game, and then uh, we'll lay out everything as far as the book goes, and then um, I got one final thing I want to throw at you guys, and we'll end on that. So, fifteen for fifteen. You get to fifteen. It's the second year in a row. Um, Scott, let's start with you as a fan. What's your mindset going into the game? Where did you, where did you feel you were? Where, where did you feel in terms of confidence? And then, as the game played out and the way it ended, how did you feel after? Just in general. Well, this is one of those tricky things because 
Um, this is why I would never write the book. Um, because I respect Coach Moore so much. I'm so thankful he moved to Maslin, and I'm so thankful for the years that he's given me these last three years. I can't, I thought we would lose. And I know that's a horrible thing to say, but it's because if I asked you to imagine what it would be like to walk through a wall and the wall not to break, I mean, can you really imagine what that, that's to me what it is to win the state championship. I can't, it's, I can't envision it. Like I can't imagine that I would be on the winning side. So no, I, I never, exactly both mean. years, mm-hmm. when I went to the state championship, I already felt like I won. I got to go with my son. All I wanted to do my whole life was take my son to the state championship Maslin game. And I got to do it two years in a row. My whole life, I only got to go to two games with my dad and he's no longer here. And now I got to go to two games with my son. So I'm the worst person to ask about that because I can't envision us winning the state championship. So I never even had, like if I think about it, it my brain would just whap it right away. I can't think about it. It's funny because when I was, before the Bills played in Super Bowl twenty five. I think I was nine or ten, and I went to watch the game somewhere with my mother. And we were walking in, and she's like, "Do you think the Bills will win?" I don't really give a shit about the Bills either way. And I remember saying to her, "Yeah, I really do think they're going to win. The Raiders don't have Bo Jackson, but I can't imagine the Bills being in the Super Bowl. Like I lived here my these whole nine years, and I couldn't even get my mind around what it'd be like for the Bills to be in this. It didn't make sense to me." They went four times in a row then. It got to be a little bit more normal. But <laughs> going in that day, I didn't know what I, – I just couldn't envision that thought. So I know exactly what you mean. But um, I was I was honestly just happy to go. Sure. And I, I actually remember um, texting with, with Dave because by then we were – you know, we had hooked up and we're working on the book. And, and he told me we were going to win. He said, we're, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. And I just, even that, I was like, eh, I, I can't, uh, ugh, I can't even, I don't know what it's like. I know I said that already, but I mean, honestly, I just can't imagine. But it was great. I mean, I I loved the experience of going with my family. That, it's family to me. I, it's play? not about winning. Where they played they? Cincinnati LaSalle. No, yeah. where did they play it? I know oh, they where? Played in the Pro Football Hall of Fame okay, Stadium. That's right. Where it always is. In, stadium, in McKinley's right. um Stadium. Yeah. Okay. Tom Benson, I believe, uh, donated a lot of money to f- fix that up before he died. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's called Tom Benson, Tom Benson Stadium. Stadium. Right. Yeah. Um, Dave. So, was the team guilty of feeling a little bit like Scott was? Is that a feeling in the locker room a little bit too? That. No. Okay. No. I don't so what happened so. in the game from your so perspective? I don't think so at all. You know what? I, I don't think it was a, 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 a situation where if we felt like we beat Avon, I mean, I'm sorry, if, if we could beat Hoban, that we would, that was basically it. And everybody else would just lay down for us. We didn't think that at all. Um, and, and, and heading into the game and pregame and all of that, I mean, everybody was loose. I mean, everybody, there wasn't any kind of cockiness or anything like that. Everybody was ready to, to possibly make history. Um, Honestly, I mean, at halftime, it was still a game. I just think um, we had a hard time. We had a hard time with 
their quarterback running that option. I mean, we just we just couldn't make the tackles at the line of scrimmage, which turned into you know they were getting you know the, the, you know the quarterback was just you know getting just extra yards and extra. We just couldn't make those stops. And I'm not there. I no way am I putting any of this on our defense at all. I'm not. It's just LaSalle was a really good team. They were just a really good team. And maybe everybody thought that Hoban was the team to beat. Um, we didn't overlook LaSalle, but things just didn't go our way. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't pop those big, you know, their defensive backs did a great job of, of not allowing, you know, Jaden Ballard and Andrew Wilson Lamp to make those big plays that they normally make. I mean, the balls were there. I mean, we had a couple of times, you know, where there were jump balls in the end zones, but their guys made plays. All and, things and being equal, you play them 10 times. What do you think the record is? Wow. You know, that day, everything's equal. Nobody gets hurt or comes in and out. You get to play that game 10 times like a simulation just to get a yeah. little perspective of the matchups. Is it they win 10 of them? Is it they win 8 of them? Is it 5-5? Oh, five, five? No. oh, no, 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 is no, it no, a fluke no, and no, you win no. 9 of them? I mean, what do you, what do you think it is? I, I think this is hard to say because you don't want to I, I don't want to you know I don't want to disparage you know no no disrespect it, it's just for for perspective I would I would say I can't wait very, to hear this at answer the, at, the very, <laughs> at the very you'd have to go that's it's it's hard I, look I'm not trying to die. <laughs> what do you think Scott say. what would what do you think I, I just like what do you think I wish I could see David <laughs> I got him squirming right a little now. bit there I mean, I, mean I really want to squirming and I love it no 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 I really want to answer this but I know it's hard look at I'm, I'm looking at who we have I'm looking at our personnel I'm looking at certain things that happened in that game for instance there was I mean then you could look at every play like but there was well, there was a play Late in the game, Scott, where they were punting. Uh, they were back to punt. The play clock was at zero. Yeah, that was bullshit. The, the play clock was at zero. We fumbled. We fumbled either the punt or we fumbled on the very next play. But but if the if the now it was a full second before they snapped the ball. It was late in the game. So yeah, you'll get that call. Day. You'll get that call six of the ten games. Right? If you make that call, if you make that call, it pushes and they were back in their deep in their territory. If you make that call and you push them back another five, uh Jaden Ballard gets to move up closer to midfield. Right. We have a shorter field. We score, um, and I can't remember if we were down seven or down six, but just things like that. If if that play was called, it it you know. But there were so many other things. That's why I'm saying maybe we win six out of ten. Maybe okay. we win seven out of ten. Fair enough. And you know. here's here's what you know. You can't put him on the spot because he's at Maslin. He's still coaching. Or he's sure. still going to school there. You know. I want to. I'm going to say something. And this is just me. I'm just a fan. I'm I'm one of those idiots in the stand that everybody hates when I'm saying this. LaSalle beat us that day. Mm-hmm. They beat us. I mean, they played great. The book is called The Maslin Tigers 15 for 15 <laughs> by David Lee Morgan Jr. It's published by Fayetteville Mafia Press. And right now, as we speak, it's available for pre order uh, on Amazon. You can pre order the paperback. It's re- Today, it's scheduled to release on September 8th, but we, it's a crazy time. Maybe that moves, maybe it doesn't. But 
Today, the information we have is the book is available for pre-order. And I do want to say yeah. they can go to 15for15book.com. That's 15-F-O-R-1-5, 15for15book.com, and get it right from us. And then you don't have to give Amazon any sure. money. You can give all the money to us, and that helps us with printing costs. And we're just a little old company, so yeah, um, do that. Forget Amazon, but yeah, you can get the Kindle from Amazon if you're an ebook person. But we're not pushing this book back; it's coming out September eighth. Good, whether we can leave the house or not. All right. You can also <laughs> get more, more information. Absolutely. More information is available from Scott on his Twitter at Scott Luck Story. Um. Dave, do you have a Twitter or anywhere where people can follow you for maybe information about the book? Or yeah, the yeah, it's yeah. it's David Lee Morgan. Okay, David Lee Morgan there. And I want to kind of end on something. I'm going to share a quick story with you guys and then see how you may apply it uh, to Maslin because I thought of it earlier when I think it was you, Scott, who talked about the records that the class had broken and how hard it is to break a record at Maslin with the rich uh, history and uh, what football has meant there for so long and how special this senior class was. And it reminded me of a moment I had. My, my brother played Division One ice hockey at Yale. And um, in 2013, they won the national championship. And it was the first time that Yale had ever won a national championship. And it's the first time an Ivy League school had won a national championship since 1989 uh, in hockey. And um, it was a really, really big deal. And... Um, his senior year, they played Harvard in the um, in the sec- in the ECAC playoffs. I guess it was the quarterfinals, and it was the best of three. They they lost the first game, won the second game, and then the third game was like saw a piece of Yale Harvard lore. It went to I think triple overtime, and Harvard won. And at at the moment, it seemed like it had ended the season and the careers of those seniors, which included my brother. They actually did get a miracle in math and make the NCAA tournament. Um, and lose to the number one team in the tournament, Boston. But um, in this moment, they're they're thinking it's it's over. And the whole team gathered in this bar on campus where they have great pizza. And they were they, the place uh, was nice enough to give them kind of their own area upstairs. We we're all kind of uh, milling around, and and it was a somber mood. And I was talking to some of the guys, and I said to one of the guys, I said, "Think of this: when you got." to Yale as a freshman, the day your parents or your grandparents or whoever dropped you off at school here. Imagine if I would have told you that you get to leave here an immortal. You get to leave Yale as one of the 25 guys who were able to bring a national championship to the university. You get to leave Yale as an immortal. That is almost impossible to do. So try to think of that in your head. When you arrived here Think of how big Yale must have felt. Think about what you were looking at and seeing and touching. And I kind of was trying to make them feel better. And um, when you were saying what you were saying about setting records at Maslin, I was thinking about that and thought maybe you could share for the senior class and the, t- the two straight um, you know, state title appearances and maybe to put in perspective what this class left uh, to the school and because you mentioned just how hard it is to do what they did at the school they did it and I thought of that moment in my personal experience and wanted to share that with you guys and see what you thought and if it would help you maybe as a kind of a closing thought and you can both take it kind of put in perspective what 
the seniors and, and everyone who's been on the team the last few years uh, that kind of led to the writing of this book, what they mean to the program and to the city and the fans and the coaches. Well, well, let, let me start out uh, because, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, maybe the day, a couple of days after the state championship game, um, Coach Moore called me. And he said, David, you know, I was at a touchdown club meeting or some something. He was speaking to some fans uh, about the end of the season. And he said a little old lady came up to him and said, you know, you know, we love what you do. You know, we love what you did for the city. You know, even though we didn't win the state championship, you know, thank you for everything. And I remember Coach Moore telling me that um, guys like Aiden Longwell, our senior quarterback, who broke every passing record. I mean, he broke Kyle Kemp's record, you know, who was amazing at Ohio, um, Iowa State. And he broke Justin Zwick's record, who who played at uh, Ohio State for Jim Tressel. You know, um, he said Aiden was crying because he said he felt like, and Aiden even told me this in the book, he said he felt like he let everybody down. He said the records didn't matter. He said he felt like he let every old person who's walking up the steps and needing to hold on to that rail, you know, all those years they came to the stadium to see a state championship. And he said he felt like um, he let them down. And Coach Moore said he used to brush that off. But then he said, now, he said, those kids have earned that right to feel like they let people down. He's not saying that it's right. But what he's saying is they they earned that because they understood how important it was. They should be allowed to feel that way. And I thought that was kind of interesting because Coach Moore knew how competitive these guys were since their sophomore year. He knew how much they wanted this, that he felt like they earned that right to feel disappointed. And I thought that was kind of... Very interesting and loving on his part, because you can't be a competitor and say, oh, well, we just lost it. They were the better team. There was so much more riding on that and so much that people wanted from them. And so I thought that was a great point. But you also have to think about this, too. These kids, you don't set records playing your junior year and your senior year at Maslin, you've got to play. You've got to start and play your sophomore year. And those seniors all played and started as sophomores. So that tells you a lot about the type of talent that they had to be able to start as sophomores and help set all of those records because the talent is there and it's deep. So you had to play a lot of games. And and the last thing about that is this. Think about those records that they set in games where they didn't even play the second half. I mean, there were games where right, there were the nothings, fifty five seven, those games. Yeah. Yeah. There are games there there were games where some of our guys are like against Firestone. You know, those guys didn't even play the second half, the second quarter. So to do what they did, um, and set those records in some games where, you know, they never even played. It, it's just they will leave as immortals, even though they didn't uh, win a state championship. But to get there two years in a row and do what they did and bring that city together like they always do, it's something that, you know, everybody will remember them for, you know, 
even though we didn't win the state championship. They'll remember what they did, the records they broke, and they'll become better men for that, you know, because they'll understand what winning is, what losing is, and how to handle that. So I just think our seniors, you know, you got to tip your hat to them and what they brought and what they taught and what they're going to leave, that legacy that they're going to leave. What about you, Scott? Well, and that was a great answer. There's no way I can top uh, his answer. But for me, I, I mean, they're all heroes because they wore the Mouse and Tiger jersey. And I remember a year when, when we actually did go 3-7. and seven, And there was a player that played so tough. And, you know, I don't want to say any names because if you name one kid, it's bad. But, I mean, I still remember that kid. And if you're a true Mouse and Tiger fan and it's in your blood, you really don't care about the state championship. You don't really care if we win or lose. You go because it's family and you sit in the same seat that you sit in and you see the same people and it's tiger time, man. I, I, I spend no time thinking about the fact that we lost the state championship. I only think about wh- how much fun me and my family had going and getting to know these kids. So, Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I barely tried to mention that they lost the game because I kind of felt it as inconsequential in a lot of ways because sometimes um, in sports – at all levels, the journey can be just as important as what happens at the end of it. So I tried to kind of de-emphasize that a little bit, and I think that kind of plays into what you're saying. Um, well, and that's how we're doing the book, too. We're, we're trying not to spill it either, although in Google time, everyone can Google and see if we won or lot. But that's not what the 15 for 15 was about. Right. It was about the work. No matter how tired you are, you do those push-ups, you carry that town, and you're going to get there. And we got there two years in a row. Scott, yeah. one more time, tell the website to buy the book from you directly. It's Again, it's called 15 for 15. Yeah, and it's 15for15book.com. So sure. 15for15book with numbers for the one and five. You can also go to FayettevilleMafiaPress.com if you can type that out. Good for you. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's going to be amazing. This book is incredible, and it's going to inspire people and um, – it's if it's going to be something. I'm so happy that I stumbled into Mr. David Lee Morgan Jr. because he's a hell of a writer. Oh well, thank you, and vice versa, Scott. I mean, you know, this is just people don't understand. They really can't get a sense of what it was like to be in the locker room, or you know, or you know, at halftime when everybody's going to get popcorn and hot dogs. You know what exactly is going on in that locker room while 17,000, 10,000, 12,000 people are out doing whatever, I get to be in that locker room and hear coaches and see players and knowing that, you know, the mom and pops, the Scott Ryans are up in the stands wondering what we're going to do when we come back out. That was so great. That was what was so much fun. Well, when you think about sports books, I'll say this last thing, when you think about sports books and, and some of the great ones, like a season on the brink, uh, by John Feinstein, or, um, you know, that comes to mind. But a, a lot of what makes a sports book great is access and the access that the writer has to the story he's telling. And certainly in this case, uh, the access is almost unparalleled. So we'll have either one or both of you back for sure in September when the book is out and you guys are promoting it. Um, 
stay safe in Ohio the next couple of weeks. Um, and you, we, we'll make sure to get the message out as best we can between now and then. Okay. Same to you. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. No, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on. And I want you to point out every mistake he makes in his book, too, if you would <laughs> mind. <laughs> we can, yeah. I, won't, I probably show. won't catch him. I, I, fortunately, I don't have the, uh, the knowledge of the team that I do, the uh, career of Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder. But, uh, all right. Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you, Steve. I want to thank Scott Ryan and David Lee Morgan. For being on the podcast today, I want to apologize again for calling Scott Sean. Shout out to my friend from Fredonia, Sean Ryan. Congratulations on the new kid, the newest Pearl Jam fan. Shout out to you guys. Uh, Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters podcast on my SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find me on Twitter, as long as I don't delete it at sports underscore casters. You can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Leave me a five-star review if you feel I earned it. On Apple Podcasts, I hear from my friend Peter that that promotes social awareness, which I also hear is important for some reason. Uh, Peter is, in fact, at Greetings from Allentown. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at GFAllentownPod. Uh, He has a new episode every Thursday. He's awesome about that. His most recent one is about um, a Canadian Maple Leaf wrestling show, uh, WWF 1984, uh, at Jeff Allentown Pod. We also host a podcast called the Adams Division Podcast, and we have one coming up later in the summer, which is going to be about SummerSlam uh, and similar to the one we recently did about WrestleMania. Shout out to Adrian Dater, ColoradoHockeyNow.com, at Dater on Twitter. Uh, the absolute authority on Colorado Avalanche hockey of all time. Uh, and I also want to mention I'm going to be on the Place to Be Nation, uh, the flagship show. I think it's going to air July 10th or 11th or 12th or something like that, whatever day Monday is. Uh, so check me out on there if you can. And uh, don't forget to check out Justin uh, on his North-South Wrestling uh, Connection. All right, with all that said, one last thing from me today and another plug, sort of. Uh, I want to introduce uh, the sportscasters community to a friend of mine named Sawyer Wise. Now, when I first met Sawyer, he was a kid, a little kid, 10 years old, maybe even younger. And his parents, his family, had the season tickets directly behind me uh, for Sabres games. They're from Oakville, Ontario. It's a great family. Uh, his father, Rob, and his wife, uh, Val, they came to my wedding. Beautiful people, uh, the salt of the earth. You know, everything great you hear about Canada uh, is, you know, shines through this family. Uh, they have a daughter named Sedona. And uh, this son I want to tell you about is this kid, Sawyer, who I met when he was 10 years old. And he already knew more about hockey than I could ever dream of. And I know a good amount about hockey, but when I met this kid, I swear to God, he was 10 years old and he knew more than me. Uh, 
uh, and what he knows uh, about hockey now is so much more than me. And it turns out he's passed me in another category, and that's fantasy football. And I've played it for a long time, since like 1993, uh, and I've won a lot of championships. I've had bad teams too, uh, but I'm very, very comfortable in saying that this kid knows more about fantasy football than me as well. And that's why I wanted to mention him today, because he's learning um, about podcasting. He came down to Buffalo last year, and I showed him some stuff, and he started his own fantasy football uh, dynasty podcast which he has on youtube let me just give some plugs first he's at s-a-w-y-e-r underscore f-f uh, on twitter uh, and you can find his projections there he does these amazing he's really analytical this kid he's super smart um, and he makes amazing lists and backs them up with stats and projections and you can find these things on this site. His his podcast is at the 101FFS. And his YouTube channel where you can find that is 1.01 Fantasy Football. And it's a great channel. He's got about, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, maybe six or so podcasts up so far. Uh, and they're only like in the 30 view, 40, 50 view range, but it's just starting. And I'm telling you right now, get in on the ground floor. And here's what I want to tell you about Sawyer is he's going to run the world someday or run whatever he wants to do. He's that smart and he's that sweet and he's that good. Look at, I don't have a son. I have a daughter. But if I had a son, I'd want him to be just like this kid. Right, like this is the kid you want to raise. He's respectful, you know. He's handsome. Um, he's kind. He loves his sisters. He's a good son. A good. He loves his family. He loves his country. He loves the things he loves. He's passionate about hockey, fantasy football. You know, he loves the Saints, and I like to think I had an influence there. Um, but he's a great kid, and I wanted to tell you about his stuff and I wanted to ask you if you've ever liked anything I do and you like fantasy football give this kid a shot and I'm going to have him on uh, as fantasy football season gets closer I've already talked to him about it I'm going to have him on I want him to share what he knows with you guys before you draft because it's good information and if you can follow him you can get the rankings you know right away but I love this kid and he's working hard maybe he's going to try to get a job in hockey now Look, at, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. I'm telling you, I'm that confident. Um, he's that smart. It's just like he's a prospect. It's like if if I was making my draft rankings and this was his draft year, he'd be like the one the one seed. You know, like I know this kid is this like Connor McDavid. You know, I'm like he's a can't miss prospect in whatever he wants to do, whether it's fantasy football or podcasts or front offices for the NHL. Or something like mundane, like accounting. Whatever it is this kid wants to do. Whatever he dreams, he will achieve. Um, and I wanted to uh, mention him uh, and mention his work um, in one last thing tonight. Alright, it's been a long, maybe exhausting podcast. I apologize that I didn't do better. That I wasn't more honest. That I wasn't willing to put myself out there a little bit more. I'm trying. 
uh, email me the sportscasters at gmail.com and tell me uh, what you think if there's anything or tweet me at sports underscore casters please stay safe don't get sick be smart you know do whatever you think is best for yourself and your family and just stay safe because I need you I need you listening I don't got that many listeners so I can't lose anyone to the Rona alright I'll be back soon we got John Pessa Yeah.